Attention Talking Simpsons listeners, would you love to hear us give the same treatment to Futurama? Who would do a thing like that? Who could do a thing like that? Then you'll be delighted to know we're doing just that for Futurama's entire first season. Hey, when you look this good, you don't have to know anything. And it'll only be available for people who donate at the $5 level to the Talking Simpsons Patreon. Oh god, no! And along with 13 episodes of Talking Futurama, you'll get all 23 episodes of Talking Critic, the entire first season of Talking Simpsons, monthly community podcasts, interviews with Simpsons writers, and so much more! Shut up and take my money! Remember, go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons to get your hands on podcasts from the world of tomorrow! I heartily endorse this event or product. Ahoy hoy everybody, welcome to Talking Simpsons where it's a freaking country bear jamboree around here. I'm your host, Nine Mets fan Bob Mackey, and this is a chronological exploration of The Simpsons who is here with me today. Hibernating Huckster Henry Gilbert. And who is calling in on the line? Hi, my name is Shivam Bhatt, and uh, my graduating class had 7 million people in it. That is a large class, and today's episode is Much A Poo About Nothing. Ah! You think of the children! Today's episode aired on May 5th, 1996, and as always, Henry will tell us what happened on this day in real-world history. <gasps> oh my god! Oh boy, Bobby, and happy Cinco de Mayo to you. Mariah Carey's Always Be My Baby tops the Billboard charts, The Craft is number one at the box office, and Martin Lawrence suffers a very public nervous breakdown running around in traffic with a gun. Oh, right. Uh, that was ex- exhaustion, yeah, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so exhausted. <laughs> when I'm sleepy, I just go to the park with my gun. <laughs> I, I remember on Dave Chappelle's Inside the Actor's Studio, he talked about that and how he thought it was overblown by the media and that when he talked to Martin Lawrence after the fact Martin Lawrence was just like oh, I slept the best I have in a long time after that that was that was so great but I don't know that's pretty running around in traffic with a gun that's kind of exhausted did, did he sleep well because they gave him a lot of sedatives <laughs> to calm him down after whatever sort of trip he was on I, I don't know what actually what actually happened I believe he tells the story of what happened in his uh, stand-up special run tell that okay that's I, I missed that one. So what else we have with the craft? Yes. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it was influential in my life as a young boy. <laughs> and that's all I'll say. What shocked me with it was that Nev Campbell was not the main character in it. I, yeah, I guess. She uh, was the most famous, but probably a year before filming, when they were filming, she was not the most famous. No, uh, Scream would be this, this Christmas, correct? Like this holiday I, season. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And then they shove out another one in 10 months for Scream 2. You can see her in one Kids in the Hall sketch as one of the few actual women uh, they actually had on the show. So look for that. I believe at the end of that scene she's revealed to be a murderer. That's right. Creepy guys. (laughs) We need need more of those in the world. So uh, let's talk to our guest Shivam Bhatt. Uh, Shivam, we know each other uh, through some way. How is that? Well, Bob, uh, you and I both work together in the minds at 1UP once upon a time, and we've crossed paths on like a number of different video game publications. I left the industry because uh, migrant farm labor work is not for me. <laughs> and um, so now I actually work in uh, 
the movie and film industry. I think compared awesome. compared to the uh, games press, migrant farm labor might have better hours. <laughs> they certainly have better insurance. Yes. Yeah. Also, more upward mobility, I would think, as well. I, <laughs> or you know, mobility at all. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I didn't move all that much when I was a writer of uh, in the games press. I will say that it wasn't very mobile. <laughs> no, I I have been thinking about this a lot lately because Waypoint, which rules and is one of my favorite outlets in the games press now, they've been talking a ton about how there's all almost no upward mobility anywhere. And if you want to get a promotion, you kind of just have to leave for another website if that's how you want. Or make up your own job like us. Yes, yeah. I mean, as I used to say, like the only way to get a a higher ranking position is if somebody dies, right? Because (laughs) all the old editors were not going to leave so there's nowhere to go. It's true. And usually if someone dies, no one is hired for that job. Someone right. just has to do their job on top of the three yeah. other jobs they're doing. Well, and then that position in the headcount turns into an associate editor position for somebody new. Uh, this what, is getting too What we're inside. saying is don't become a, a games journalist, <laughs> yeah, please. Sorry. But uh, Shivam, not to put too much pressure on you, but uh, in case people couldn't tell by your name, there's a reason why we asked you to come on this episode. And maybe you can explain a little more about that. Right. So uh, this episode, as we talked about, is much a, much a poo about nothing. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an Indian American, not an American Indian or an Indian of America as like they go through the whole thing at the end of the episode. You're not a Native American then. No, I'm not a Native American. As we used to say in less enlightened times, dots, not feathers. Uh, That's Um, one way to explain it. Which is seriously the most offensive thing. But um, (laughs) having been born and raised in the States and also of Indian descent during the era of the Simpsons, Apu was basically a really big deal in my life. Very impactful in the fact that, you know, everybody would always ask where my father's slushies were or, you know, if they could feed my god a peanut or any of the other uh, sort of horrifically offensive things that would come out of our dear uh, Quickie Mart guy. So were you a fan of the show um, despite that? Did you watch the show despite uh, kids mocking you? So the thing is, like, when I was a kid... Everybody watched The Simpsons. I loved The Simpsons as a kid, right? Like, it was super cool because everybody had a, you know, don't have a cow or I had a Bart Simpson uh, fanny pack, you know, the whole (laughs) thing. Like, um, no, I loved The Simpsons for a while. And then I grew out of it kind of when it started to get a little lamer. But, um, yeah, it was great. It just, Apu was kind of one of those things where I'm like, well, it's cool that he's there because really at that era – Indian Americans had like three icons, right? We had Apu, we had the dude Jawarlal from Head of the Class, the uh, sitcom that was on in the 80s. Oh my God, yeah. And then uh, we had Short Circuit. Ooh, (laughs) ooh, yeah. I mean, despite... With, (laughs) With the famed Indian actor, Fisher Stevens. Yeah, I mean, you could have fooled me until uh, fairly recently that that was not an Indian actor. But Dude, when I learned that that guy was actually just in brownface, it broke my heart because he was like the hero. He was, look, that is so cool. He's totally represent. What do you mean he's white wearing makeup? I guess he's more convincing than Hank Azaria's accent is in The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, uh, Hank Azaria's accent but is yeah. miserable. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, he, uh, I mean, so we watched the uh, the documentary, The Problem with Apu. It's great. I'm not sure if you saw it, but uh, we learn a, a bit more about where that, that voice comes from. It's an imitation of Peter Sellers doing a similarly insulting impression in the movie The Party. Is it yes. The Party? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Sellers, that other notable Indian actor. <laughs> <laughs> notable nice guy, Peter Sellers. Oh, yeah, right? The thing is, though, 
when I was a kid, and this was one of those like things that used to plague me. Like I'm born and raised in America. My accent is American. Not only American, it was Californian. And I was raised in Massachusetts when The Simpsons came out. So my accent was already like dudes and bonsai and teenage and ninja turtle type. <laughs> and people would be like, hey, can you do an Apu accent? And I'm like, no, I can't. I don't oh. sound like that. I don't even know how to pretend to sound like it, it was weird to me that other people could do an Indian accent or what they thought was an Indian accent better than I could. Because I'm like, look, I my parents are from Gujarat, which is in the northwest part of India. Apu is from wherever they want him to be from. His accent is all over the place. And it's just kind of like, I don't know how to do that. Nobody I know it sounds like that. I think he's uh, listed as a Bengali. I well, guess. Just because it rhymes with the jolly. He's called the jolly Bengali in 22 short films. But I, I actually have some comments about that specifically. So first off, let's just, do you mind if I just oh, no, divert about right Apu ahead. for a second? No, go for it. Okay, so. Apu Nahasapima Petalon, whatever, like super long, long, long last name, right? Short first name plus a very long last name is generally an indication of someone from South India, Mm. not someone from North India or Bengal is technically North India, but it's like the eastern corner. So, I mean, in this episode, he says he goes to Caltech, a.k.a. Calcutta Tech, a.k.a. you know, IIT, the India Institute of Technology. But... If you look at his hairstyle, if you look at the way he kind of wears that 70s shirt and everything, <laughs> and then his parents, his dad in this episode is wearing a lungi, which is just like the white loincloth. And basically all the indicators we get are that Apu is actually South Indian. Like wow. some of the weird elocutions he uses are South Indian elocutions as opposed to the way Northies would talk. But – in Simpsons lore, I don't think they put spent that much time on it. I'm thinking he just where do they need him to be from? What rhymes better? What is a weird stereotype that I can do? What is a place that people will know? Wow, this is Calcutta stuff. Is a place that people know, right? This is stuff that we would never have uh, mm-hmm. even thought about. So I'm so glad you're you're telling us this on the show. Actually, uh, Pooh's uh, last name Nahasapima Petalon. Uh, we said this before on the show, but uh, the writer Jeff Martin in in grade school, he had a a friend called uh, I believe his name was Nahasa Pima Petalon, and that's where he got the last name Nahasapima Petalon because the joke. That's uh, like a Thai name. <laughs> that's a Thai name. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the, the joke that it shows up. So the first time we hear Apu's last name is in the um, Streetcar Named Desire musical. The joke is, my name is Apu Nahaspian Petalon. I am playing Steve. Mm-hmm. And the joke is like, he's a very foreign man playing a very white sounding ah, man's uh, yeah, role. How funny. No. And that episode also has one of many Indian stereotypes I've come to see in comedy, which is that he, he goes woohoo after getting a kiss from Marge, which is like, it's the same kind of stuff Fisher Stevens was doing. Doing in short circuit of just like these Indian men don't have sex with women much, so any affection they freak out about. They're very they're very infantilized, I guess. Oh, so that is one of the biggest stereotypes that has plagued my people, and it's really weird because well, actually, let me divert again. Uh, Yeah, one of the things I do, uh, dear listeners, is I do a lot of talking about Indian culture and Indian American culture, so this is definitely right up my alley. So. If I may set the scene for where Apu would have come from and the type of person that he is. Now, in the early 1960s or so, America had the um, an act 
that allowed people from Asia to finally immigrate to America en masse, right? Like we, uh, they fixed the Immigration Act so that like the Chinese exclusion bill and stuff, they were all kind of nullified. So you got a lot of people from India and uh, China being able to immigrate to America for the first time in large numbers. Before that, there were Indians here in like the 1800s. They were like farmers in Southern California and stuff like that. But in the 60s, a lot of people were finally able to come on education scholarships the way that Apu does in this episode. So one of the things you saw was that a lot of educated Indians who were like scientists, nerds, engineers, that sort of thing, who were upper class, upper uh you know, upper crust kids from India who had the money to be able to emigrate would be able to come to America, go to schools in Kansas or Texas or, you know, Iowa, Jersey, random places like that. And they would come in the 70s, single males, young, nerdy dudes who's mm-hmm. like for the first time ever outside of the clutches of their family home in America where everything is hella weird. And suddenly, yeah, you're going to get a lot of really awkward, nerdy Indian guys who don't understand <laughs> how to deal with women that aren't their mother. Of course not. They're yeah. college students. What do they know? Like when my dad came here in the 70s, he was working at like his first job was at a Burger King. And he had to like in, in Texas and he had to figure out how to make pseudo Indian food. So they got like tortillas and beans and tried to make like dal and rotis out of them. Wow. And it's just like this is weird hacked food. And they didn't know what, like, to do with forward college women in America in, you know, schools that were integrated like that. They're like, "What? I? that's nice to meet you, lady, but I need to go study now. Mm-hmm. So it was a real culture clash then. Oh, it was completely. And, I mean, Hari Kondabolu has a line, which is, Apu is a white man making fun of mm-hmm. an impression of my father or something to that effect. And, like, when you look at Apu's clothes, he's got his pants up to his, like, navel. He's got his huge 1970s collared shirt, the bouffant hairdo. That's because Indian pop culture was about 15 years behind American (laughs) culture. So all these dudes came here in the 60s, 70s with, like, 1950s-era Beatles haircuts. The guy who came in the 80s looked like Elvis, you know, (laughs) with the weird 70s kind of get-ups. So that really was just, like... Well, yeah, I mean, the dude running the cookie mart is going to look like 1975, even though it's 1989, just because that's the clothes he could afford, and that's the stuff he packed in India to come here. Oh, wow. But then 30 years later, that character turns into even more, like, it's it's a stereotype frozen in amber when he appears in stuff now in the twenty in 2018. It, okay, so... <laughs> one of the biggest pet peeves of mine and of a lot of the people of the Indian diaspora is that Apu, I mean, okay, look, for one thing, Simpsons is frozen in time. That's fine. It's a timeless show. It's meant to kind of represent whatever. But culturally, all of the other characters have at least adjusted for the era. Like their attitudes, I mean, they stay in the same archetypes, but their attitudes and stuff change and grow with times. Apu is the same today as he was when he was first introduced. He's still a quickie mark guy. He's, I mean, yeah, the story goes up and down or whatever. But they forgot the third, uh, the second half of that story. Like, okay, so look, the, the arc of Apu is the arc of a lot of Indian guys, right? I come to America to study in graduate school. I become an engineer. I do the things, pay off my loans. Some people, like my parents, stuck around and, like, became naturalized green-carded citizens. Some people just kind of skipped out on their student visa and hung around. Some people went back home. But the thing is, you see a lot of people, like, in the 60s and 70s, 
engineering firms weren't really hiring brown people. Hmm. So these guys had to do something. And one of the easiest things to do was I'm going to go buy a motel. They're cheap. Nobody cares who owns a motel. And then I'm going to work hard and make a lot of money, you know, rent rooms out twice a day to people under the table or whatever it is, make a ton of money, buy a second motel, invite my brother over who's a farmer and wasn't educated enough like me. He can work in my hotel. He'll invite his brother-in-law and so on. And we get like kind of the chain migration. Or you get the people who are like, well, I don't know how to speak anything, but I do know how to drive a cab. So I'm going to go drive a cab in New York or in Austin, Texas or San Francisco or open an Indian restaurant, right? Or a quickie mart the same way. I buy one convenience store, then I buy one for my brother, then he buys one for his you know, sister-in-law, whatever, on and on and on until we own all of them here. But what's the next step? The next step is these guys all go to their gigantic mansions that they've saved 40 <laughs> years worth of money to have. And then kids like my generation come up, people whose college educations were paid for by these people who have 40 years of convenience store money sitting around. Like I know people who own motels, who own convenience stores, 7-Elevens, who will sit there and they'll be like, look, man, my dad is wearing the same clothes that he got off the plane with in 1973, but he drives a Mercedes Benz and has three more at home. And, you know, he sent his kids to two private schools and then to Stanford. Where's that half of the story? Yeah, I mean, there's not all of those details, but Apu does have a pretty nice apartment, and uh, his, yeah, bro- his brother Sanjay is part of the show, so he is in business with his brother. So I can see a few of those little details leaking in, but not the entire context that would really inform his character. They still, I mean, economically, they still usually keep Apu a little low. Like, yeah. He's not a homeowner. I think, uh, you know, they still, even when he has the octuplets, they're still in a in an apartment. He hasn't yeah. bought a home at that point either, even that far into the show. I I have to say, as as a viewer, like I was ignorant to this stuff. I I I blame my. I'm definitely I'm in the wrong here. I was I lived a very sheltered suburban life. I don't think I even knew any Indian kids really growing up. I didn't have to think about this stuff, and I, I it it did really hit me when I saw uh, before he did the documentary Hari Kondabalu doing. He, that routine on just like, oh yeah, this that's what Apu is. This voice is a white man mocking a very specific accent. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, yeah. it, it really brought me down. We've, we've dealt with it before. We, listeners have heard us talk about this before, but it, it was such a bummer to, to finally realize it. And then it makes going back to episodes like this, which even were this episode, I would say is an attempt try to course correct a little bit with Apu. Oh, for sure. I mean, in the timeline of the show, I feel like this is the most progressive. It's still problematic as hell today, but it's the most progressive uh, look at Apu to date where he's a real character. He's not just a silly guy in the background. I mean, the last time they had a episode about Apu was in season five, two years before this, and they went to India and it was like cartoon land, basically. It was like a mad magazine drawing of India they visited. (laughs) And looking at Apu as an educated person, giving you his backstory, uh, making you feel sympathy for him and his and his plights. Um, I feel like these are all things the show would not have done a couple years ago. And I feel like they're trying to work themselves out of the stereotype, but they are still too attracted to a lot of the easy jokes you can make with a poo. Even and we see one. we see a few of them in here. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought it was really neat that they showed his background. And like this was, again, this was the first time I'd seen this episode because I think I'd stopped watching the show before this. But... It was really neat. I'm like, oh, my God, he was an engineer who came here. That's like something I had never known. And I was like, wow, that is exactly my story now. And suddenly that both makes him more real and also sucks. 
<laughs> right? Like, yeah. <laughs> suddenly I'm like, oh, but he never progresses. He never goes back. He never – like the fact that Apu just doesn't go anywhere farther. Why isn't he like a mogul owning 12 Quickie Marts? Why isn't he like the branch manager or, you know, the regional director of Quickie Mart Incorporated? I mean, I think um, part of his part of his uh, character is that he is a workaholic and that he does not enjoy the uh, the effects of having work. He just enjoys working, which I'm not sure if that is a stereotype or not. That is absolutely true. Okay. That is a legit total stereotype. <laughs> I like, mean, I know so many people who run like motels and stuff and I'm like, you don't need to do like you don't need to wash the floors by yourself. It's okay. And like, eh, but I like to. Yeah, I mean, in the 22 short films episode, which I believe you said you watched previously. Oh, once upon a time, yeah. uh, In that episode, uh, it's revealed he takes one four-minute break every year. (laughs) And that's that's all the fun (laughs) he will let himself have because he's so devoted to his job. I believe it. I fully believe it. (laughs) I I, I do. There was one other thing I, I... Uh, before we get uh, deep into the episode, there's one other thing I didn't like in the recent Apu thing that flared up again when the Simpsons tried to comment on it themselves in a recent episode. And it was when people, it was when commentators, what almost entirely white commentators were saying like, well, no, Apu, he's not a stereotype. He's a computer expert. He's, he's a vegetarian. He's, he's, he has all these characteristics. (laughs) And I'm just like, that all is from season six onward. Like in the most popular years of the Simpsons, Apu wasn't that guy. And using those examples is not a fair way to talk about, Oh, Apu's not what you think he is. He's not a stereotype. Okay. So when the Apu thing happened, I was, very much i was writing essays about this you know on twitter basically and i was talking a lot about it because it definitely impacted my life in quite a uh, direct way and people would keep coming back to me like oh they made him a family man and he's a wife and kids i'm like yeah but when i was in second grade apu mm-hmm. didn't have any wife or kids apu was the dorkiest dork who's ever dorked a dork you know <laughs> he was like he was the guy who i was getting my ass kicked you know like like apu is they might have in the 25 years of history of Simpsons or whatever, they might have revived him and revitalized him and given him something else. But when we were kids, they didn't. He was just the pinata for a lot of racist jokes. And a lot of us just ended up uh, taking basically all that onto ourselves. Like when people come up to you and start going, thank you, come again. Mm. After the 500th time, you're just like, you know what? This isn't funny. This isn't funny yeah. anymore. I will say that uh, so the show had a bad response to the documentary. Matt Groening had a bad response to the documentary, but Hank Azaria actually had a thoughtful response that wasn't really committing to anything, but I can at least give him the credit to say, like, yes, I have thought about this and I don't want to hurt anybody. Maybe mm-hmm. this character should change. So I feel like he is at least aware, even yeah. though he was not, he did not give that interview to Hari in and, the documentary. And also Mike Reese, who co-wrote the episode where Apu first appeared and was a writer on the early, very stereotypical seasons of Apu. He, he had always said he did not want that character to have an Indian accent when he first wrote it. And, and in his book, he even is, he was very clear. I'm like, you know what? I I can't tell. I'm just some old white Jewish guy. Like I can't tell people what to be uh, Indian people or Indian Americans how they should feel about the character of Apu. Like he, so I think he had a uh, he had a good response in his book as well. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, this character is very complicated, and a lot of Indian people have a lot of complicated feelings about him. 
it's it's weird because again it was the only representation we had so when that's the only like you know any port in a storm right like <laughs> well i guess i guess that's what we got yeah and I mean, that was like if i'm honest that's kind of a lame thing to have as your only representation I totally agree. I mean, we can we can thank uh, the writer David S. Cohen, now David X. Cohen. He's also the co-creator of Futurama and the co-creator of the upcoming uh, Mac rating series, Disenchantment. Uh, he went to uh, school for computer science. He's got a PhD in computer science. He got he went to UC Berkeley, right? Right up like a mile from here. Yeah. And guess what? He was getting a computer science degree. He went to, he went to school with Indian immigrants. Mm-hmm. And so a lot, of them. <laughs> a lot of this comes from his own experience where I'm sure like, it's like, Oh, I've, I've, I'm friends with a lot of Indian people. Let's, let's make this Indian character a better, uh, like a more realistic person, less of a stereotype. And they also helped inform uh, the vegetarian episode as well. I, mm-hmm. I believe a lot of that was informed by his Indian friends at UC Berkeley. So yeah. David S. Cohen, I mean, he, I, I can credit him with sort of making a poo better, not perfect, but a little better. Cohen on the commentary, which was likely recorded to, 2005, 2004, he outright says, like, Apu was, quote, a stereotype. He said he was a stereotype and that it was their intention to try to flesh him out some more. So it's it's just funny to hear when now a lot of Simpsons writers are trying to make no comment on this whole thing, that on the official commentary, they're being much more clear of, like, we knew he needed to be fixed and just to directly call him a stereotype. And and I also do fear that like they kind of reverted a little bit more mm. like after in the next, uh, in season nine. Yeah. When they, uh, they, they just have stuff with the, this doesn't have a Kama Sutra joke in it or yeah. a joke. Uh, but it does have an arranged marriage joke. I take that back. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that range marriage! Uh, like that whole scene, that three seconds in his hometown or whatever, I could write a paper on. <laughs> <laughs> it was just—I was like, "What the heck am I?" Anyways, well, his uh, his his wife to be uh, comes back, and he does marry her later in yeah, the series. Yeah, I, I remember that when she's older and played by, like, play by a white woman, of course. Yeah, but I'm like, great. Uh, she's like eight. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not not so into that either. But I will say, yeah, uh, Bob mentioned written by David S. Cohen, directed by Susie Dieter, two like other top top people on the show. This one is also all about immigration. Which oh god, <laughs> we're recording this the day before this goes live on the seventeenth of June, and this is when like immigration could not be a hotter topic. We're talking all about the wonderful child prisons Listen, America has. They're not in cages. They're in pens yeah. and they can roam freely, but they can't touch each other or cry. Closures surrounded by chain link fences. Yeah. yeah, I refuse to call them cages, but <laughs> it's funny because I remember living through the original immigration like hoopla that this episode kind of references, and also like you know Proposition Eight in California back then, which was all about illegal immigration and like the. Um, Mexican, uh, like apparently the flood of Mexicans who were going to ruin America. And it was just like a horrific <laughs> bill that passed and that just really wrecked us for a long time. Oh, yeah. I looked into this, by the way. So this episode is sort of based on Proposition 187, a.k.a. SOS. Yes, 187. That's what it was. Save our state, SOS. I mean, how Ooh. much more blatant could you get? Uh. But it was really about denying, um, you know, social services to undocumented immigrants. And mm. uh, I believe on the commentary, Matt Grant says he remembers the governor of California like rubbing his hands together and talking about how he, he can't wait to deny prenatal care to yeah. uh, undocumented immigrants. 
Ugh. Pete Wilson. Yes, I that's him. I will never him. forget that man. Yeah. It I, was messed up. I, it was messed I, up. So I believe Gray Davis sort of undid it after the fact. It or? was uh, actually undid like almost immediately. And, oh, it was unconstitutional. I believe Gray Davis might have shot down any attempt to sort of fix it again. Uh, quote unquote fix it. I, I don't mean uh, it, it needed to be uh, reinstated, but it was unconstitutional. I believe you said, Henry, it's one of those things where it's just like, oh, it's too expensive. It's too expensive to punish everybody. Yeah. I thought this would be fun. <laughs> uh, no, it's I mean, when I read up on that uh, Proposition 187, I didn't grow up in california so i didn't know that specific oh, it was the epochal in this state it was huge hugely divisive hugely insane and it was like my first taste of what real racism is uh, it's and it's so reading up on stories that were published during it it's the same shit you hear now that is a oh, cover yeah. for racism of just like no 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 we're just worried about how expensive it is like can we afford it i just yeah. don't know it's like there are so many welfare cheats let's build an industry of handling people's pee that will not cost anything to yeah. handle all of their pee oops it costs more than giving out welfare uh-oh yeah <laughs> we're sorry but it's not about that it's it's about punishing a brown person or even just imagining the satisfaction of imagining that a non-white person is being punished like the people voting for that are getting off on that and it it's just so fucking disgusting it makes me so i am so angry right now yeah i was oh. uh choking on my own rage all day yeah <laughs> dude when i was watching this episode in pre- preparation for this podcast i was just like i had to pause it a bunch of times because i was like this is way too real man. yeah this is way too right now it's, this is like a year after a random dude in Kansas shot another Indian guy Ugh. for being Iranian, yeah. even though he wasn't Iranian. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Uh, it's it's also what was fucking me up watching it was seeing how the what's so real to me is that all these characters who are just comedy cartoon characters, usually you're just seeing like Skinner turn to be like he's very anti-immigrant. And and you see all these people like with their signs, like you're not the fun characters anymore. You're all just like hate oh, no, mongers yelling like, just hateful white people. What yeah. happened? <laughs> and uh, Quimby is very much like a, almost like a Trump like figure. He's like, I can have this easy answer for all of you. It's uh, it's immigrants. And you know what? If the immigrants go away, you'll have more money, which mm. is don't blame, you know, capitalism or all the rich people who don't pay taxes on anything and are moving all of your jobs <laughs> away from America. No, no, it's the immigrants. It's their it's their fault. And we that's how he won the election. Uh, it's shocking that 22 years later, it's just the same. We've like, learned nothing. Yeah. In fact, well, I would say that people are now the difference is people are just more openly hateful. They're like, oh, no, I just am a fascist. Like, no. yeah. I, yeah. it, I'm not going to even pretend on the welfare thing anymore. It's just, I hate these, I hate these people that don't look like me and I want them gone. And if you promise me you're going to do that, you've got my vote. It One of my favorite yeah. lines in this uh, show that Apu said was when Marge was like, oh, wow, you know, I didn't know that you were, that illegals walked among us and that you're a friend of ours and gosh, I'm going to vote no or whatever. And Apu says, you're one of the good ones. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he, because that was like the line that they would use. Like, oh, you know, we wanted the bad immigrants away, not the good ones. But to give it to the brown man to be able to turn to the generic white people in the Simpsons and say, oh, you're one of the good ones. I had to like just stand up <laughs> and applaud. I'm like, that is, that's biting commentary that I yeah. expect from Simpsons. That's a great inversion of that horrible phrase, I gotta oh say. Oh my god, dude. The fact that I pooped it, I laughed out loud. <laughs> I was like, this is so good.
Simpsons. We'll be right back. Man, it's like a freaking country bear jamboree up on this episode, huh? Hey, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Talking Simpsons, which is supported at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. And you can hear next week's episode right now and ad-free at patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. But not only that, you'll also get access to every episode a week early and ad-free from then on. And the same goes for our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we go through a different animated series each week in the same Talking Simpsons-y fashion. And wait, there's more. You may have heard us mention these interviews on our podcast this week but we have two brand new interviews this month that are just for you patreon subscribers there's mike reese where we talk to him about his brand new book springfield confidential and his 30 years working on the simpsons we hear so many secrets including the story behind the fabled caramel on the ceiling plus we also talk to writer nell scoble a veteran of the comedy scene for more than 30 years about writing for the simpsons the critics mystery science theater space ghost and so much more hear both of those interviews and a ton of other exclusive features that are only there for patreon subscribers at patreon.com slash talking simpsons If you agree with my sentimonies that Mike Reese was a really cool interview that we got this month, you might want to listen to the audiobook version of his new book. And what's an easy way to do that? Well, it's signing up at audibletrial.com slash Talking Simpsons. At audibletrial.com slash Talking Simpsons, you can get a 30-day free trial of the Audible service and a book on us that is free. Yours to keep after you sign up for it. And a little bit of money gets kicked back to your old pals at Talking Simpsons. So you'll get a free copy of Mike Reese's audiobook. You get to hear all his amazing stories on his long history with The Simpsons. Plus, you'll get to throw a little money back at us and check out some other cool books that are on audible a just sign up at audibletrial.com slash talking simpsons and we'll see you in the funny pages uh well okay well so let's start at the beginning here with the bear on evergreen terrace I can't work the knob. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Love that bear walking music. This is Kent Brockman with a special report from the Channel 6 Newscopter. A large bear-like animal, most likely a bear, has wandered down from the hills in search of food or perhaps employment. Please remain calm. Stay in your homes. <laughs> Looks like bad news for the Impson family. And Ned is still driving his red Geo. Yes. Which <laughs> Maybe he, not anymore. He must have bought a... We see him driving it after this episode, so he must have bought a new one after it. I, this uh, Ned screaming is always funny. 
And the, uh, the the triple cut of him screaming three times yeah. at different angles. It's a Susie Dieter episode. She's so great. Yeah, though, I feel like the joke is supposed to be on Ned for being too afraid of a sleepy old bear. But if there was a bear within 20 feet of me. I'd be screaming and running away, too. I, I, I don't think I could keep my cool. Yeah, if there's a skunk somewhere <laughs> and if i can see it i have to like leave town <laughs> literally leave the leave the town line and yeah i find it hard to fault anybody for being like you know even though that bear is just sitting there i, w- I don't want him to not be sitting there so i'm going to go somewhere else now <laughs> apparently there were a lot of bears just hanging around in southern california at this time uh, making for a lot of fun <laughs> news footage i think the last one that i saw in california was a bear just swimming in somebody's pool <laughs> oh i love that i mean we're taking their Habitat, so they may as well run around and get some cool news footage. I mean, it's kind of funny that they start with this, that it, this is the lighter side of the news hysteria thing to go with immigrant fear, which is another <laughs> part of news hysteria. And also, the, I just love the line, a large bear-like creature, most likely a bear. Bear-like, likely a bear. I, just, I, I think it's also a commentary how in, in all of those helicopter uh, newscasts, they can never confirm anything. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a great Sklar Brothers uh, <laughs> bit about that from like 15 years ago. Look it up, kids. <laughs> and uh, then Homer has decided he's going to confront that bear and I just love that if his plan had gone well, it was dropping through the, the windshield, windshield. <laughs> which likely would have killed him. It's it's also just <laughs> enough, so many great little drawings in this, like the drawing of him with the pants on his head looking at the bear. That is so funny. And the great swing he does. <laughs> yeah. The, the bear control or the pre-bear control shows up. Sweet dreams, Smokey. Oh! <laughs> Animal tranquilizer! <laughs> uh! Book him, Lou. One count of being a bear. And one count of being an accessory to being a bear. (laughs) He really stepped it up from uh, his beer addiction to straight up bear tranquilizers. Uh, That'll get you where you need to go. You can't get quaaludes anymore, so (laughs) I would guess that does the trick. (laughs) But I knew that even in my first viewing as a kid, I was like, I knew he was going to miss that first shot. It's not a good Wiggum joke if he doesn't shoot somebody accidentally. (laughs) He can't be competent. No. Oh, no. There was no way that he was just going to pop him off in the first one. But I just love the sound effect that they use on on the bear tranquilizer gun. It's got that just thump. That's just so satisfying. It sounds like a blowgun almost. Like, yeah. <laughs> or like a Nerf gun with a with the ping pong balls just coming popping <laughs> yeah. out. Simpsons has some of the best Foley in in entertainment, I would say. Yeah, especially when we isolate it on the podcast and you're not looking at an image. You can really hear a lot oh, of yeah. things that you would never hear. <laughs> and uh, I also love that Mo has his own paddy wagon for <laughs> uh, Barney, just for Barney. <laughs> so then Homer is uh, pissed off. And I have to say, Homer is a great rabble rabble in this episode except when he tries to do something right like yeah. he he can get him to be mad about bears and about taxes but when it's no on 24 nobody listens to him. just the people at the party and homer's stance to ned is actually one you hear from a lot of conservative jerks as well just like hey if you're okay with that that's fine for you but my family is afraid of x y and z in this case a bear mm. <laughs> and uh, then homer is taking it downtown with quite a slogan i love it we're here <laughs> we're queer we don't want any more bears we're here. We're here. We don't want any more bears. Hey, Homer, that's a pretty catchy chant. Where'd you learn it? Oh, 
I heard it at the mustache parade they have every year. <laughs> Sir, there's an unruly mob to see it. Does it have an appointment? Uh, yes, it does. <laughs> I phoned ahead. Mr. Mayor, I hate to break it to you, but your city is infested with bears. Yeah, and these ones are smarter than the average bear. They swipe my picnic basket. <laughs> Think of the children. Very well. I children. promise swift and decisive action against these hibernating hucksters. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a kid, uh, I was probably... Th- I was about to turn 14 when this episode aired. I had never heard the word queer. I don't think I had either. I mean, people would, you know, little boys. The other F word are in my area, but not queer. But never queer. And, uh, you know, like after high school, I was like, okay, I know what this means. But then it was like, well, that's a bad word. So when I got to grad school, I was like, there's a thing called queer studies. Can they say that? (laughs) That that word has been effectively taken back. Yeah. I do, uh, as a gay man, I like that phrase because there are some people who like bisexual or pansexual or it's it's just not a good enough umbrella for them, especially if you accept that there's more than two genders, folks, which is true. It's true. So bisexual goes into about gender binary. It's all just, it's a lot of messy phrases. So when you can just say like, we're queer or we're the queer community, it's a fun, I, I like that and word. Q, Q's a fun letter. Yes. Yeah. Wait, so in the next year, Homer's phobia, it was that, that's our word for you? Is oh, that what he says? True. That's our word for making fun of you. I think that's where I learned it like uh, what it really meant but yes uh, the mustache parade is a very yes. very funny line <laughs> i actually just like the idea of we're here we're queer and we don't want any more bears yeah. which if you know the gay community is a subset of a certain type of gay males oh so boy that sentence made me laugh so hard <laughs> just because i'm like Oh, look, it's a, the gay pride parade, but we don't want the burly guys. Yeah. <laughs> As a bear, I actually took some offense to that. Thing. I never connected it with uh, the, the term uh, bear as in the gay yeah. community. I was like, wow, Homer must have been at a bear exclusionary gay pride parade. <laughs> well, in a way, it sounded like it was that, yeah, that they, maybe that they've had their fill of bears. They're like, look, we we are overloaded with bears. We need other. We need time. more twinks, gentlemen. We need twinks, we need cubs, <laughs> we need otters. I just know twinks and bears. I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's because I saw the episode today. So obviously, gay pride is kind of on my head, mm-hmm. and I was just saying, like, <laughs> just the juxtaposition of a of those two. Made <laughs> yeah. Me laugh a lot. yeah, this uh, uh, yeah, that Homer thinks it's a yearly mustache parade too is quite a great gag. <laughs> uh, and I also love that Skinner is the guy who's boring enough to call ahead for the angry mob. I That's, phoned ahead. I also I do love how Mo says uh, picnic basket in the Yogi Bear way. <laughs> uh, and it turns out Quimby stole his picnic basket. <laughs> That's the real secret. You're blaming all these things on scapegoats like immigrants and bears, but it was actually the mayor yeah, all along. It's the man. <laughs> but another mo- major moment in this episode, a first, this is the first time of uh, Helen Lovejoy's catchphrase, won't somebody please think of the children? It's true. It was kind of a short-lived catchphrase. I mm. want to say it maybe hung around for like four years, At four that, or five years. Yeah. yeah, they just kind of forgot about it and her. <laughs> I think one of the last times I heard it was when Mo said it in Natural Born Kisser. Yeah, that's right. He's standing next to her and he says it. So that's the joke. But And that's what killed the joke. Uh, so Bill Oakley talks, they talk about it on the commentary and it does come from like Bill Oakley at the time who was a childless man. Uh, he, 
he was like, you know what? A lot of stuff isn't for kids. And us having to make things with thinking about kids makes us have to make less good things. And fuck the kids. Like, that <laughs> seemed to be his feeling. I wonder if he feel. he says he feels pretty much the same way on the commentary as a father now. But... I think it's a funny point and there are definitely scolds who say this thing for kids, especially about animation, this thing that isn't for kids is going to destroy kids. It's like, well, it's not for them, but oppositely I not a fan now as an adult of casting a mom, um, a woman as a scold who won't let you have fun things because she's always crying. Think of the children. Well, our guest is a father. Let's ask him. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because as a dad, I sit there and I'm like, okay, there's definitely things that I don't want my kids to see. Like I took my son's uh, tablet away yesterday and deleted YouTube kids off of it because he was definitely picking up idioms and phrases from the people that he watches on YouTube Uh, that I didn't think were appropriate for a four-year-old to be doing. Good decision. And I'm like, you know what? Before you become some kind of like, you know, neo-reactionary, let's like – shift you back over to Sesame Street, you know? <laughs> so I'm not, it's not like think of the children. The thing about think of the children that gets me is that that was such a phrase in that era of the early 90s of just like with video games, with the um, the warning labels on CDs and records of like, oh, this has explicit language. Uh, what's a Tipper Gore? Tipper Gore's oh. whole thing was think of the children. Oh, yeah. And it was just like, oh, Okay, dude, we get it. You uh, think of the children as just like an easy catchphrase for these deviants are doing something I don't want, but I don't have a good reason to not want it. So I'm going to fall back on the reason that everybody is okay with the uh, generic faceless child who's just an angelic, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, you know, (laughs) Iowa kid who's just like, oh, I am the essence of innocence. Like, I, all right. I've seen less uh, reactionary ism or however you say that outside of uh, so I feel like with just how immediately accessible pornography is and extremely violent <laughs> content you just you can just get to it in a second mm-hmm. people the Pandora's box is open we can't stop that anymore the only time I see reactionaries <laughs> is in like Christian communities like uh, fundamentalist Christians were like Harry Potter's evil Pokemon is evil you know I think that's really given up yeah. at this point I well it is it is quaint to think of a time when it's just like well the Simpsons or even South Park is scarring kid it's like you have no control it feels like there's almost no control over what children can see of everything like all content is at their fingertips at all point like it is an overload of it like <laughs> I do say think of the children now it's too much but I don't know it's well uh, it's it's weird though because like you know in the 90s or something when this episode aired Okay, 96. So, yeah, so Mortal Kombat had already come out. Mortal Kombat was one of the first think of the children. You know, it's like the crazy blood and stuff is suddenly in our house. And all of the floodgates are open. 1996, Netscape is out. The internet is finally becoming a thing. And suddenly, if you want to see a uh, woman having intimate relations with a fish, you can do so (laughs) very quickly and instantaneously. And your parents, who are still in that weird you know, quasi pre-net era, have no idea what's happening, where this stuff is coming from. They only know it's got to stop. And how are we going to stop it? Who knows? But somebody's got to do something. I kind of miss when everybody's parents weren't online. Uh, yeah, it's it's gotten I'd say worse when now that my parents are online. I don't like being cyber stalked by them for one thing. 
Not, <laughs> if I don't want to share information with them, that's my business. <laughs> but I also, it's a tough thing. I want to be a Twitter influencer, but also not have my parents know where I am at all times. I'd be flattered if they cyberstalked me. <laughs> <laughs> Say that. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of uh, stalking or totalitarianism, it's a totalitarian bear state in the Simpsons world with the bear control. Bob, me and you were talking about it earlier. It does feel like it presages uh, 9-11, yeah, post-9-11 stuff. All of the security theater that happened after 9-11 where it's like it's just there for the appearance of control and order, but it really isn't. And I think of that whenever uh, I'm going through security and the lines are too long, so they're like, okay, everybody, no, no, don't take your shoes off. Don't take anything out of your bags. Just go through the line as fast as possible. I'm like, so the security doesn't matter because the airplane needs to make money is that is that really what it is and it is but it's just like none of this none of this matters you would hold me here for as long as possible if you had the time to do it yes well you got to remember you said this episode aired in 1996 remember that in 1995 was the oklahoma city bombing Mm. timothy mcveigh uh nuking that building in the middle of town and there was right around columbine time and stuff so there was a, a Pre-9-11 security theater was happening. We weren't quite at Crazy Town yet, but we were definitely at the first World Trade Center bombing, the Oklahoma City bombing. So people were definitely starting to get their uh, ire. That is true. I will say, I think it's because the, uh, the, the, the criminals in those cases were white guys that... Our government did not freak out as much or use it as a smokescreen for something else. Like if you read up on the uh, actually the podcast, last podcast on the left, which I talk about a lot on the show, <laughs> they did a four part series on Timothy McVeigh. It's all wrapped up in white supremacy and like that entire movement. Mm. And it's all like post Waco white supremacy. But they could have like tracked down and, uh, you know, jailed a ton of white supremacists. But they were just like, let's just get this over with as fast as possible mm. and move on. So in some cases, they're just like, let's let's take it easy on white people. Yeah. <laughs> Isolated. In most incident. cases, right? <laughs> all that lone wolf, all that. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Uh, I Lisa is such a like extra smart and extra lefty liberal correct in this one than she normally, even in a regular episode, she is. And I like that a lot. It's also taught me the term specious reasoning. Yeah, specious. But it's a great it's, word. But it's episodes like this that also made it more painful that she was the one of all the characters that had to give the Apu is now politically incorrect speech. Why did they have to put it in her mouth? Like, it's just such a bummer. Yeah, it's a total bummer. Uh, but uh, Homer proves that he's quite an American in this episode by hating taxes for the things that he wanted. <laughs> Woohoo! A perfect day. Zero bears and one big, fat, hairy paycheck. <laughs> hey, how come my pay is so low? Bear patrol tax, $5. What? <laughs> this is an outrage. It's the biggest tax increase in history. Actually, Dad, it's the smallest <laughs> tax increase in history. Let the bears pay the bear tax. I pay the homer tax. That's the homeowner tax. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm still outraged. So I did the math on Homer's income. And if you add in all the things that were deducted, mm. he makes around $12 an hour, which was a step up from his $5 an hour that we heard about in Homer Loves Flanders. That's true. Yeah. I mean, 96 $12 an hour, I guess, isn't so bad, but you certainly couldn't. I wouldn't think you could be the sole earner for a five-person family. In a three-bedroom house. I mean, yeah. minimum wage was f- about around $5 in 96, so okay. he's Maybe. making double minimum wage, but 
How long has he been working at that plant? I mean, come on. <laughs> well, you know, he's he's not going anywhere. Homer is not particularly upwardly mobile. There. Yeah, <laughs> they well, they just kind of keep him around for no reason. I I just also love the way Lisa quickly corrects of like Homer tax homeowner tax. She knows more about that than him. <laughs> but so Homer is so pissed about this five dollar, which I don't know if I just five dollars for a security state man. Sign me up. That's all I want to do. The <laughs> yeah, dude. Like I love that stealth bomber that flew over. Yeah, bear patrol on it. I'm like, that's a hell of an investment for five dollars, man. It's a great how that is like the the sort of like uh, not not really star white, but like stealth bomber white to Quimby's office. It is great. I and uh, when they cut back to it, also I didn't know this until uh, rechecking the commentary. But drawn into the crowd shot of the taxpayer complainers is Brad Bird. Yeah, that's right. It looks just like him, but they say it out loud. Like, no, that's Brad Bird. (laughs) Bird." But he's somewhere in the model pack somewhere uh but so yes it's time to hear what quimby's gonna do you think of the children are these morons getting dumber or just louder dumber sir (laughs) they won't give up the bear patrol but they won't pay taxes for it either ducking this issue calls for real leadership people your taxes are high because of illegal immigrants that's right Illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. We need to get rid of them. Yes. Immigrants. I knew it was them. Even when it was the bears, I knew it was them. Won't somebody please think of the children? In one week, the town will vote on a special referendum whether or not to deport all illegal immigrants from Springfield. It shall be known as Proposition 24. Yeah. So we should overlook that a town has this power, but Shivam, I, I heard you say something during the clip got too real for you yeah this is where the episode got a little too real for me like hey you know we need to scapegoat and distract the people so let's go find the marginalized guys in the uh, town and uh kill them or drive them out of town or you know (laughs) do something to get the masses off of understanding what's actually happening i mean yeah everything that mo says should be on twitter like i can see those as all tweets immigrants yeah seriously and it's just like, oh, man, and oh, we've got a week to do this referendum, and then we're going to immediately deport everyone. I'm like, huh. So if you've got a life, let's say, as a quick, a, a Quickie Mart owner, perhaps, and you've built this whole thing up, and they give you like a week to try to stop your life from falling to pieces, how are you going to pick up everything and find someplace to go? Yeah, I mean— What does that actually mean? You know, like— I'm surprised that we didn't mention ice. So let me say, if you think cops aren't racist enough, you got your ice cops, yeah. and they're even more racist. They got into the game to be extra yeah. racist. I know. When you're a cop, you're if you apply at the cop factory, it's <laughs> like, oh, I I have to Welcome help aboard. other people at some point. I don't only round up non-white people, but in ice, that's all you do. Yeah, yeah. That's all you fuck. It's. It's disgusting. I, I I hate ice so much, and I I am one hundred percent abolish ice. And I want if if a Democrat wants my vote, they better start talking about getting rid of ice. Like definitely, it's, it's just sickening what they can get away with. It like with no oversight, and they. It also is crazy to hear the like the quotes coming at the start a year ago or 18 months ago of like, Oh, we finally got the shackles off. That was a quote in an article I read about how ice uh, unnamed ice official was feeling of like, how did you feel you had the shackles on before? And then second, even (laughs) using that term, just like, yeah, because you're about to put shackles on people. That's it's, (laughs) 
Uh, it helps. Uh, like, didn't another country have a secret police that yeah. uh, they were a real problem? Well, they had a cool these, logo too. Yeah, <laughs> uh, such a cool logo. Uh, Ice needs to catch up with those cool logos. They're not designing it as much as uh, some some country <laughs> in the 1930s. But also, like, just camps. Like, they're just camp. I ha. Ah! Yeah, how is a good is a good yeah. question to ask as you, uh, as you rip your hair out and, and like just yeah, rend your clothing. This isn't very funny. It's yes, just, um, it's no. been a rough it's been a rough uh, week for yeah. all of us. Well, it also at the end of the movie, the big shorts. This uh, there's a similar moment in it too that made me think of this scene in the episode where uh, at the end of the big short where they say like, well. They've been defrauded by all the banks. They stole tax money to even stay afloat. Americans aren't going to stand for that. And then Steve Carell's character <laughs> says, no, they're just going to blame immigrants and poor people. That's what they yeah, always yeah. do. And it's like, yep, yep, that's exactly what happened. And they did it. And it, and nobody thought about it again. Uh, so so it's this is a timeless story then of, of, a, of Mayor Quimby just blaming Im- immigrants and everybody accepting it. Just mm-hmm. immediately like, oh, yeah, okay, yep, yeah, that's our problem. And this is when it gives every, just like in real life, this politician saying it gives everyone permission to be like, oh, now I can just be openly racist, even in school. The TV said it was okay. Hey, German boy, go back to Germania. <laughs> I do not deserve this. I've come here legally as an exchange Young man, the only thing we exchange for you is our national dignity. <laughs> oh. You want to pick on immigrants? Then pick on Willie! Willie, please. The children want to pick on someone their own size. <laughs> it's good that Willie at least attempts to be a hero in that moment. I know. he's Willie's the only good guy. <laughs> I will say, it's also funny to see them doing that with Uter, who... Did just exist for extreme German uh, stereotypes and eating gross candy. He eats the mazapan in the meat, the meat iodine. That's all. He, Would you uh, like a bite of my joy joy? Yeah, well, I, I do give uh, the Simpsons writers a props here for using like the whitest possible guy as our immigrant scapegoat for this episode mm-hmm. because they could have gone wrong in a number of different ways, but it's just. Just if I think because with this episode, the tone I generally took was they were looking at this as how ridiculous is this and picking on like the two white immigrants here was really just driving the point home that like, no, guys, it's not just brown people who come here. Yeah, I thought that was actually kind of uh, refreshing. I, li- I like the message a lot, but Henry was uh, like DMing me through Twitter, and you're totally right, Henry. It's like they wouldn't care about Willie and Uter. They would yeah. only look at like the skin color. Like, how different oh, are yeah. you from me? Yeah, I, f- I feel like it's it's just the understood thing. If it's somebody who's like, well, I'm an undocumented Canadian immigrant, it's just like ICE isn't going to even ask you. if They're not going to go on a Greyhound bus and stop you to ask any white person if they're Canadian. They're not going to do that. They're, they're going to just look at anybody who doesn't look right and ask them if they're undocumented. I mean, I do also love the line Germania. Germania. Uh, <laughs> though there is, that's another, definitely ignorant people are racist and against immigrants, but I, it's one thing I don't like where they're just like, oh, all these hillbillies who voted for the president. It's like, there's lots of intelligent people who are unempathetic. Like, being smart doesn't necessarily make you not racist. Yeah, lots of very educated people write all the very racist laws. And, you know... Nazis uh, were quite educated. Yeah, like, that's true. They knew a lot of stuff. Oh, also, the uh, the headline, Quimby Propositions 24 at Ballet. That's yeah. a funny... That's a funny headline. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but one of the things that really got me was like when you said the nobody's going to ask a Canadian. I don't know if you've seen the show Silicon Valley, mm. um, wherein you know Kumail Nanjiani is playing one of the he's like a Pakistani guy playing a token Indian programmer, and they've also got a random like Canadian anarchist guy. And in one of the early episodes, somebody is busted for illegal immigration, and they all look at the Indian guy, and he's like, "Look, man, I got I have legal papers. I'm here legally. <laughs> it's not my fault." And then the crazy anarchist dude's like. Uh, yeah, I snuck into the country and never left. And it's like this token generic white American nerd who's actually from Canada. And so I was like, oh, ha, that's the joke. That they'll never think of the white guy. I have got to – that show's come up so many times. I really do need to watch it. I, it's, we, it's good. Yeah, as a Mike Judge fan, I feel like I, I really need to watch it too. Uh, it's also funny too that – you mentioned that too. There's Bumblebee guys in one scene – but uh, or he's at the test at the very end. Otherwise, though, they they could have done jokes with Bumblebee guy, but I think that would have been too mean. Or yeah, too- and it would have also been too <laughs> real, given that Prop One Eighty Seven was about Mexican people. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And it's also hard to have a scene with Bumblebee guy because he can't actually like <laughs> give you sincere dialogue. Things that's have to be true. hitting him in the head, or he he can only exist in a Mexican sketch comedy scene, yeah, even in his that, own house. That's, that's also true. <laughs> I think it would have undercut their point to have a stereotypical character that you actually that like represent everything they do want to deport as a person that is like the illegal immigrant or whatever. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. I, it, it kind of turned him into a third rail story wise, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I also, so then they go to the dinner table to talk about this and Homer is just parroting another of the points of just like, oh, these schools are so full of illegal immigrants that kids can't learn. Like it's definitely, they hate that schools, the people who were voting for Prop 187, they were hating that schools, the idea that schools were paying for non-Americans to learn. How dare they? Though I feel like if you were to excise all non-white students from schools, they would still be underfunded anyway. Oh, like, yeah. It's not going to fix them. They've never cared about funding schools. Yes, no. <laughs> <laughs> It's more about taking stuff away. And then we, we get the uh, uh, the lengthy story of how the Simpsons came to America, which I feel like every reaction to it from them is just them saying, like, well, this isn't real. None of this is <laughs> yeah. true. It's a fun little diversion. Uh, yeah. I do like uh, the the old country. I, I th- I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive Grandpa Simpson was born here, too. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I just love the way they point at the Statue of Liberty, like, that's our new home. And they just live there. And then they filled the head with garbage, garbage. and ran away. And, you know, uh, Bill Oakley, co-showrunner of this time, he's not that old, but his grandfather was born in the 19th century. So maybe he's used to hearing stories about (laughs) the old country, whatever that was. Also, apparently the invention of sliced bread was officially in 1928. Oh, wow. Damn. More recent than you think. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Actually, yeah, this and it's the 90th anniversary of sliced bread this year. God, hats off to sliced bread. <laughs> uh, so then at the end of Act 1, we get this very funny joke of Homer almost having empathy. And uh, this is when Apu finally enters the story. And I... I do like as a storytelling device, they don't show you Apu up to this point. And if you're, you're probably not thinking about him as a viewer on first viewing, but the second you see the quickie mark, you're like, oh, yes, this is this episode. When those immigrants get deported, there'll be a lot more elbow room for regular Joes like you and me, Apu. Uh, Mr. Simpson, it may astonish you to learn that I am an immigrant. You, I don't believe it. No, in truth, an illegal immigrant, sir. If Proposition 24 passes, I shall be forced to leave this country. Oh, I wish. 
Oh, I wish I could have stayed just one more year or two. There was so much I wanted to see and to do and to have done to me. Oh my God. I got so swept up in the scapegoating in front of Proposition 24, <laughs> I never stopped to think it might affect someone I cared about. You know what, Apu? I am really, really gonna miss you. Yeah. <laughs> It's a very great uh, American lack of empathy that you see, especially so with the with the with the penned or caged children things, or with people getting torn away from their their children or being arrested and deported. You hear was like, "Well, I feel bad, but they broke the law." Mm-hmm. And if you someone gets shot by a cop and they shouldn't have been shot, it's like, "Well, they should have listened," you know? Huh? It's mm-hmm. just like you really they're like, "Oh, they didn't play by the rules. I play by the rules." And then just that whistling too of just his walk away, like, "Don't care at all. Yeah. Doesn't affect me." All right, buddy. Sorry about your loss. Bye. Yeah. Yep. Ooh, sucks to be you. <laughs> well, and ironically, this reminds me of a story that happened recently, uh, just after Trumpistan happened, mm-hmm. where in like this small town in Ohio, there was the um, Mexican gentleman who'd been running a restaurant for 24 years. He had a wife, he had a couple of kids, everything, and like the town went all for Trump, and then he got deported. The you know like head of the community, city, upstanding citizen, everybody's like. I didn't know Juan was the illegal. He was such a nice guy. We didn't think it would affect anybody here. I was like, oh. I have a huge spoiler. That was my hometown. <laughs> oh, wow. God, so, really? uh, some people try to defend where I come from. I do not. And that's one of the many reasons why. <laughs> yes, well, that happened in Youngstown, Ohio. Oh, my God. Yep. That story is just like, I cannot believe the ludicrousness of this. Mm-hmm. Well, nobody. Yeah, <laughs> it's like they. Yeah, they damaged the community because somebody broke a stupid law that didn't make any sense and mm-hmm. didn't help anybody. So yeah, let's ruin the community, ruin a man's life. Well, and it's it's also Family. there's there's another point too with ICE that's what's real cruel about them is that. All laws in America are like selectively enforced by the people enforcing them. Like technically, if we were, if every law was always enforced, like anytime somebody broke the speed limit, they'd be arrested. But I mean, technically, I should be on death row for stealing media. Yeah, digitally, I should be it, in prison. It's it's all about how you enforce it and and how it can be enforced. So when you say, oh well, I don't break the law, it's like you probably do, but nobody's breathing down your neck to enforce it on you. And when it's selectively enforced. It's it's one thing about I would definitely suggest people listen to there's several great podcasts about this on citations needed hmm. one of my favorite political podcasts but a big point they have is like I says oh this is somebody gang affiliated and that means nothing they're just like oh did you stand in this area well we call that a gang area so we're gonna call you gang affiliated and we arrest we you. saw you wearing this color at yeah. a certain time you oh did you have a tattoo we're gonna call you gang affiliated and just put you away so it's just selectively enforced. It's not, it isn't about the law. It's about who is being affected by it. And uh, it's fucked up. And uh, yeah, the people just, the homers of the world can't even have empathy for that. That's why uh, The Grapes of Wrath is one of my favorite books because the entire point of the book, well, not the entire point, but it's like it, it kicks ass to break bad laws. Some laws mm-hmm. are bad. Yep. And I wish more people would read that book. It, it's so uh, good. 
So good. Also, for Apu's history as in, as his immigration status in the show, uh, the only previous time they'd really directly talked about whether he was a legal immigrant or not, though I would say, to my knowledge of, well, I guess things are a little stricter now, past 2001, uh, or a- after 9-11, but he was, he in the India episode, he flew to India and came back. If you do not have a valid passport or his overdue student visa right now, you would be stopped at that airport and you would not come back to America if you went to India. I don't think they were thinking that much about Apu Certainly in his backstory. Not, no. in well, that very- you also got to remember, in the olden days, before they had all these security checks, you could literally just buy a ticket at the airport. Yeah, that's true. And just go international and come back. You could walk all the way up to the door of the plane. Yeah. You could sneak onto planes, remember? <laughs> People used to just be able to walk onto planes and uh, be like, whoops, I'm on the wrong flight to Poughkeepsie. Ha ha ha. There are so Good many movie uh, plots that involve a stowaway <laughs> or someone getting on the wrong plane where it's like, man, you would just be assassinated in the air by an, an, an air marshal or something. It's like, Doug, how did you get into the parking lot, let alone yeah. the airplane? <laughs> in uh, the Lisa, the Iconoclast episode, he says he's a semi-legal immigrant yeah which which means he was like legal once yeah i mean um i like that joke because he's saying like i can't have an anti-american thing up here because i will be killed yeah i am a semi-legal immigrant (laughs) like and it's just like if you flashed your student visa in 1990x and be like here's my id they'd be like all right stamp here you go happy birthday bye yeah i mean they were still getting paid nothing in security. Yeah, like they, yeah. I mean, they didn't care. They didn't have any reason to care. Now I could have the person who pulled me out of my mother come and they'd be like, I'm sorry, you're not American. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's pretty silly. Uh, so uh, then we come back and we get to see this. I think this is my line of the episode, the uh, in uh, Mo here. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the joke. You know what really aggravates me? <laughs> it's them immigrants. They want all the benefits of living in Springfield, but they ain't even bothered to learn themselves the language. Yeah, those are exactly my sentimonies. <laughs> yeah, what uh, you said it, Bon. <laughs> I think Barney's unintelligible. <laughs> that's my favorite. Uh, that's, that's my line of the show. <laughs> uh, it's an easy laugh for me just to hear any like, <laughs> And all you see is just the back of him just like swinging <laughs> yeah. his arms around. It's great. <laughs> like you said, Bob, that, that is just Twitter comments now. Like, yeah. If they don't want to. Even if you learn the language well, then you'll find another reason to say you're not really American. So yeah. it doesn't even matter. But Homer's sentimonies. I just love the term sentimonies. Those are exactly my sentimonies. That should immigrants. that should be up there with cromulent sentimonies. Immigrants, immigrants, immigrants. <laughs> I believe uh, on the commentary they said this is a David S. Cohen episode because there's a lot of made-up words in it. Yes, yeah. Uh, also, there's a Buy American sign. Like, them picketing the Quickie Mart, like, damn, that's racist. Man, that... But the Buy American sign, it reminds me of how that used to be that Made in America or Buy American stuff that is not an aspect to the racist hate anymore because I think Americans have accepted they want to buy cheap stuff at walmart and they just can't buy american anymore yeah like even growing up in the late 80s uh there was like scandal on the block if someone had a japanese car Mm -hmm. and some families wouldn't buy nintendo because it was a japanese thing like it was like uh that was not that was like 30 years ago so yeah but one of the things is like buy american even when they were like 
touting that was still kind of this weird, foolhardy, like, pipe dream because there was no way, even in the 90s, people were like, nobody in America is making my jeans. Mm-hmm. Like, who's, where is this stuff coming from? I mean, the weird things that people would be like, well, we're buying American or, like, you know, flags or tchotchkes or random garbage that you're not really buying. And it's like, what does this even mean? I still need to get a refrigerator, and they're not making fridges in San Francisco. It's true. Actually, I bought a uh, can opener somewhat recently just on Amazon. Like, okay, what's a cheap can opener? I'll buy this one. When I got it, it had like made in America, like all over it. Like they were uh, so proud. I'm like, wow, one industry, the can opener it, industry. Yes. We made it. That plant employs 34 people. Uh, I also love, I like the Eura- get your ass back to Eurasia. That's a funny word. That's a great one. Uh, yeah. United States for United Statesians. <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, the only good immigrant is Rod Stewart. Uh, the only good foreigner. <laughs> foreigner. Is Rod Stewart because he was in the band for was he in Foreigner I think so I don't think he was I thought he went solo after I don't know Mm, let's go to Google real quick no he was in the Yardbirds yeah he was not in Foreigner damn it so it's not a joke about the band Foreigner it's just that he is a British man and they're acceptable and they're acceptable okay I can't believe people used to think he was attractive (laughs) (laughs) he always kind of looked like a troll yeah (laughs) a a bridge troll I mean (laughs) Uh, so in the commentary, uh, Mac Rating wasn't the biggest fan of the Yuhu to Ganesha gag. Yeah, he didn't. I mean, uh, he might have changed recently based on his recent comments about Apu, mm. but we brought up on the show how Mac Rating was sort of the uh, the PC uh, lifeguard for the show, getting yeah. rid of uh, potentially racist things. Or potentially, ableist jokes, yeah, too. Or sexist or homophobic. Like, uh, some stuff did make it in, but it, I mean, the show might be much different and have aged much worse if uh, Mac Rating wasn't there as sort of the lifeguard and can i just say that was one of the first notes that really just went sour for me ganesha come on man 10 seconds of talking to anybody will tell you it's ganesh i mean like i i somehow knew that and i don't know how i knew that because you live in california that is true all over he's the most popular god in hinduism it's just i mean that one's at least that one at least should have been an easy like layup for these guys. I, I think even in a previous episode, they might have said Ganesh when uh, Homer yeah, was like, did. when they're handing out gods, you must have been taking a whiz or whatever. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. At least, you know, that has one of my <laughs> favorite Apu lines ever where these like, there's 700 million of us. And then Lovejoy's reply, like, that's just super. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that he tries to categorize them as miscellaneous. miscellaneous. Yes, I remember that. Ah, uh, uh, yes, miscellaneous. But okay, so in three parts here, we have Apu's story of how he came to America. Make the protesters go away, and I'll give you the entire bottle. Oh, thank you, goodness. My first customer's in a week. It's hard to believe someone so close to our family could be an illegal alien. Alas, it is true. I came here shortly after my graduation from Caltech, Calcutta Technical Institute. As the top student in my graduating class of 7 million, I was accepted for graduate study in the United States. All right, pause for a second. Yeah. So can I can I talk about that for a minute? Yeah, yeah. go for it. Yeah, okay. So there's a couple things here that are just like great me. First off, his accent in this it just seems significantly worse than I remember it, but maybe it's because it's been a while. But graduating is just like driving me insane the way he was mm. saying that. No Indian talks like that. Yeah, I, but, it, it does sound like a little uh, off from the normal Apu in this segment. Yeah, it didn't sound like yeah. normal Apu to me, and which is weird. What does normal Apu mean? <laughs> but you're, uh, you guys know what I mean, though. It didn't yeah. sound like what I would expect from him. But 
So a few things here. Calcutta Tech. Now, in India, is known for a famous series of uh, engineering schools called IIT, which is like the Indian Institute of Technology. It's like a whole bunch of these like really, really high-level Harvard-esque engineering schools. And so that was a neat kind of like uh, throwback both to the fact that there's a famous tech school series in India and also the fact that Caltech in SoCal has a ton of Indian scientists and engineers mm-hmm. in it. So I thought that was a neat little kind of tie-in. And I was like, I didn't know that he was from Calcutta. He doesn't look or act or sound like he's from Bengal. I mean, there's just ways that Bengali, the language is different, that would change the way his name would be or his voice would be. Mm. But um, I don't expect the Simpsons to know (laughs) the subtle details of Indian ethnicities. However, the 7 million people in my graduating class was was like, okay, I get it. You're making fun of how many people there are in India. But that's also super weird because in the 60s and 70s, post-independence, just as like people are starting to kind of get to schools, there's still such a huge economic division in Indian society that there were not a lot of people in universities. Like India is still like 93% poor. Hmm. You know, they're all farmers and living out in the sticks, even though it's like 10 billion people. Uh, the fact that he made it to university at all is kind of a big deal. The fact that he was would have graduated at the top of his class and gone to America would have been a huge deal. Like his family would have gone to the train station to send him off as if he was going like, you know, to Mars or something. <laughs> no, it yeah. it's it's uh, several stereotypes in basically ten seconds because yeah. Oh, yeah. you have an overpopulation gag, you have a snake charming gag. Yeah. Basically, I, I I'm shocked he wasn't playing a flute to get the snake to come out of it. And yeah, maybe Macarating said no flutes. <laughs> and and then and then right after that, an arranged marriage gag. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's it's a lot. It's it's. It's and then one the fact step that, forward, know, one his step family back, is living yeah. in a mud hut. His yeah. dad is basically naked except for his lungi that he's wearing and his taped glasses and an arranged child marriage gag. Not just an arranged marriage gag. Yeah. But like a, ah, even though you're like, you know, half my age, I will see you at some point. Oh, it's not very flattering to the Indian people. <laughs> no. no. I mean, there's a seed of truth in all of these things. Yeah, but yeah. it's also just like, let's pick the worst possible like way to look at this, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, there are arranged marriages, but if that is your sole representation of an Indian person on TV, it's not the most flattering representation. Yeah. It's, it, it's the combination of the two, right? Like, yeah. my parents' marriage was arranged. That's fine. It's like, arranged marriage doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, you know, this eight-day-old child has now <laughs> been set up to get married. It's more like, hey, my cousin, my cousin's daughter is getting married. Does anybody know a guy? <laughs> oh, hey, that dude's in our community, and he's needs to find a wife. Let's introduce them to each other. Hey, do you like each other? Okay, great. Let's arrange a setup and that'll be done. I th- I think there, that's what an arranged marriage is. They might have like softened this joke in the Manjula episode. I, like, I forget what happens, but isn't he like going to marry her like at a later time? Like well, they're going to wait or something? He thought it was over. Manjula will come back, th- which by the way, they named Manjula about after a uh, mutual friend of some of the writers who yeah, so in timeline wise, and I know it's silly to put actual timeline on a cartoon but so Apu goes to school in America for nine years and then he's here seven they say seven years 
his student visa expires. So 16 years. Let's say she's eight. That makes her 24 when she Perfect returns on the show. <laughs> that would fit. That yeah, would at yeah. least fit with how she's drawn that she, I think she has played more like she's in her early 30s, but 24 is believable for the Manjula it's, we'll meet later. It's hard to tell with the Simpsons designs what is 24 and what is 30, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that. that, the thing is, that's actually legitimate and like, makes sense both in terms of aging and in terms of waiting. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with a guy named uh, Mahatma Gandhi, but mm, right. uh, yeah, he was also, you know, because he was born in the 1800s, he was uh, arranged to marry his wife at a very early age for both of them in their like childhood. But the way it works is that your families will get together and be like, okay, well, these two kids will get married at some point, but it's not going to happen until like, you know, adulthood or like once like the daughter goes through her like puberty, once the son goes through puberty and gets a little educated, once they're like old enough to actually kind of understand what they're doing, then they would get married. I mean, yeah. it would still be kind of like 14 or 13 or something. So we're not talking like this is great, but it's also like, I'm not marrying a four-year-old. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I read, maybe we could be looking too much into this joke, but I read the intent as who was not going to marry a child, but that it was inappropriate for this child to have an older man selected mm-hmm. to be her husband uh, from the perspective of the writers. And that that, yeah. is, that is the quote unquote joke behind that. I think they're just hammering the stereotype and wanted to yeah. fit as many as they could. Yeah. They, they got they got most of them. They didn't get the yeah. too spicy food joke, but that yeah, uh, happened. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm like, where's my smelly guy? They, they the spicy that. food and burps and things. That's true. They had that before. They will get a reincarnation joke later in this episode. Yep, but uh, that one. Uh, but first they had to... I have to say, I'm embarrassed to say, until the DVD release, I did not get the joke of oh. Springfield Heights Institute of Technology, which, of course... Spell shit. It's a shit joke. It's a shit joke. <laughs> he got away with it. David Cohen is a dirty jokester. And I also believe this is the first time they confirmed that his name is John Frank. I enrolled at Springfield Heights Institute of Technology under the tutelage of the brilliant Professor John Frank. Well, sure, the Frankiac 7 looks impressive. Don't touch it. <laughs> but I predict that within 100 years, computers will be twice as powerful, 10,000 times larger, and so expensive that only the five richest kings of Europe will own them. Could it be used for dating? <laughs> well, theoretically, yes. But the computer matches would be so perfect as to eliminate the thrill of romantic conquest in her even way. Mm-hmm. Oh, so when Apu gets his fake ID, I don't know if the birth date on that is correct, but it says he was born in 1962. I would say most likely he was born in the 50s to make this timeline make sense. I mean... This is a 70s computer. Yeah, yeah. And for him to invent what he had to invent... Um, Punch cards, yeah. Totally. I mean, he he would have been in college in the sixties, so they're kind of all over the place in terms of the tech of this era. But um, I do like that, like the writer of this uh, episode, Apu does have a PhD in computer science. This is where Cohen stuck in all of his science nerd, his computer nerd jokes, which he had to invent a whole show to put it into for Futurama. Also, that Frank is pretty much Farnsworth in this scene. Yeah, yeah. And this Don't is, touch it. <laughs> and this is also. <laughs> 
This is also the fir- the invention of the word Frankiac, yes. which we owe so much to as just internet people who talk about Simpsons. I can't believe Frankiac came into being as we were doing the show. Yes. And then people kept telling us about it, and I thank them, but it's like, if anyone knows, shouldn't it be us? <laughs> of I, course we know. I can't imagine a world without Frankiac now. Yeah, like, it's, it's where all of our gifts come from and all, all of our cover arts, how I react to every news event and every mm-hmm. E3 announcement. Ugh. It's the be- it's beautiful. I I remember a time early in the show where I had to make images for the show or gifts to promote this uh, podcast, and I had to make it myself. I and now oh. Frankiac, they all look better there. You know what I had to do? I had to put in a DVD and do a uh, screen capture because I wanted the best, cleanest screen capture. I put a DVD into my laptop to uh, get a screen. That's how <laughs> devoted I used to be. Now I'm lazy and use Frankiac. Uh, to, oh, and also his name being John Frank, that is the name of the namesake of the character. They called him Dr. Frank because the writers were friends with the writer named John Frank, who is now a writer on The Simpsons. Yeah, not at this point, but he would be with his uh, partner, Don Payne, who has now passed away. But I believe Don Payne wrote one of the Thor movies. He did. Yeah. Yes, I believe the first one. But this is something that really gets lost that like Apu has a doctorate. He is yeah. Dr. Apu. That, which no one refers to him as, by the way. But also, it's like, I guess if he was not feeling like being an engineer, then fine. But yeah. he is really, he's not using his doctorate at all. To be fair, if you have a doctorate in computer science, no one calls you doctor or whatever. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> he should insist on it, though. Yeah, I guess unless you're a professor. But I, I, I like my professors had PhDs. I didn't call them doctor so-and-so. I call them... Professor, who's a fuzz? I guess if I if I was a, if I had a fud, I'd be I'd be making everyone call me doctor. I've got a master's. I want to be called Master Bob. Okay. Can we do that? Sure, <laughs> sure, Master Bob. Thank you. Oh, it sounds gross. I don't like. But, it. Like the thing. Oh God, Master Bob. Yeah. Um, the thing though is that like part of that is definitely rolling right into the Indian kind of archetype, right? Like, oh look, this super highly educated guy who. His, fa- his family is obviously of some kind of means or his community got together and spurred like, you know, got and shared all their money and wealth to send this kid overseas to go to college in America, which is not cheap. I mean, remember, he's from a dirt farm back in India, right? This is not yeah. like we're not talking he's got thousands of dollars to pay for flights and tuition. And the fact that he can get tuition at a uh, shit institute and <laughs> still get a degree and come out. That is not easy. Of course, he's like hyper intelligent. That's a lot of work and a lot of money. So, yeah, he has to, you know, pay off his loans by working in a Quickie Mart. And the joke is that all of these people who are cab drivers and motel owners and Quickie Mart owners are like hyper educated people back in the old country, either who their credentials were not accepted in America or, you know, they couldn't get a job because of either visa requirements or language requirements or just plain racism. And you see things like, oh, yeah, you know. You read in the New Yorker, some young 24-year-old white kid is like writing an expose of their taxi cab driver who's like, Mohammed Yunus here has three PhDs back in Lebanon, but over here drives a cab on 32nd Street. And you're like, well, yeah, that's because America is fucking racist place. It's not going to hire him because his name is Mohammed, you know? Uh, yeah. That's true. So yeah. yeah, like when he's like, oh, I've got a PhD, but I work in a quickie mart, I'm like, you and all of my family, buddy. Though <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got to say, that's what kind of dates Apu as well, in that with a Quickie Mart job, he can pay off a student loan, a PhD well, student loan. Well, this is like college in the 70s, so yeah. you just needed like, I don't know, 100 bucks to get a PhD. 
but so here's the end of Apu's story here. Apu, why didn't you go back to India when your student visa expired? I did not feel right leaving without paying off my student loans. Mm-hmm. So I took a job at the cookie mart. When my debts were wiped clean, I was all set to go. But by then I had made so many friends here. What you're saying is so understandable. And really, your only crime was violating U.S. law. Oh, you are one of the good ones. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I'm going to vote no on 24. Mom, you're the greatest. Can I have this licorice? Lisa is still a kid. I love that kid moment of Lisa. Yeah. I definitely was that too as a kid of, well, just asking for candy at the end of a grocery store trip, but also saying like, if you could slip in a compliment to a parent while begging for candy, <laughs> now I can just buy all the candy I want. I don't got to ask anybody. You got to grease the wheel. But yeah, we have that one of the good ones. And uh, I do like that line. I like Marge's line because it's a very, it's a very, Marge is very naive. So yes, like, yeah. that's her reading of what's happening. And I, I do enjoy her naivete. Yeah. Uh, the term illegal immigrant. I would like to ask listeners, like, maybe if you don't agree with the policies about uh, that happening with immigration right now in America, use a term. Undocumented immigrant is so less loaded of a term and more accurate. Like, a person is not illegal. (laughs) They don't exist to be illegal. Like, so undocumented immigrant, much better term. I agree. I was hoping I was saying the right thing while talking about this, too. So, Or, like, you know, displaced immigrant displaced yeah. individual yeah but one of the things that got me about this episode early on they were like illegal alien illegal alien is almost an offensive term in the way it's so just like because they're so loaded that word alien yeah right like it's saying something illegal alien yeah it's got a legal sense to it but it's also got the connotation of like you're not even the same species mm-hmm. it's so true and yeah like these days it's taboo to even say stuff like that, which is why when I was listening, I'm like, oh my God, there's just, they straight called him an illegal alien. Yeah. Illegal alien. I remember hearing that all the time growing up in the eighties on TV shows and movies. And it made me think, is there going to be an alien in this mm-hmm. thing I'm watching? Like you're right. It's not conjure images of a Too human. Innocent. Yeah. Too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, illegal alien. I forgot. I totally forgot about that term. Gross. So it is quite literally dehumanizing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then we get a scene that actually is one of the last times they treat Kearney as somebody under the age of 21 <laughs> because he's he's quite old. Actually, uh, at least the iconoclast before this episode, they established it. He is at least 30. It's true. I Despite that, um, I don't know, uh, loophole there. Yeah. I, I do enjoy another made up word, adultivity. <laughs> yes. Adultivity. Also the name Charles Norwood. Tra- Charles like his, Norwood. Yeah. It's uh, and and I love the animation of the melting sa- uh, ice cream sandwiches under his armpits. It's, it's cute. Animation. <laughs> so gross. Yeah. By adultivity. That's not a great place to smuggle out ice cream sandwiches, <laughs> by the way. You got to have some sort of fanny pack. Yeah. In large for, pockets. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think it was intentional, but I do kind of like the idea that Italian Americans who generations before they were the hated immigrants in America, that now they, through horrible mafia stereotypes, are now helping another uh, immigrant who is now the hated immigrant for Americans. You know what? There's no commentary on it in the show itself, but I feel like there had to be some intentionality because why else would they get Joe Montaigne to come in to do like three lines of dialogue that aren't particularly super funny? Um, but I mean, I feel like maybe they are underlining that, that whole mafia thing where it's like, oh, these are, these are the people that, uh, 
uh, people were racist against like 50 years ago, 60 years ago, but now they're accepted. Mm -hmm. Uh, The thing I got out of that was more like less about the commentary about them being Italians and more just like, where's Apu going to find a shady place to get an illegal? Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like they're kind of the catch all for all the shady business in town. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When they gave him his illegal passport, he just made me laugh so much. He's like, (laughs) you are now from Wisconsin. It's like, uh... They don't okay. do a very good job of it. No, here, I'll play the clip. Here are your fraudulent documents, Mr. Nahasapima Pedalan, your U.S. passport, social security card, birth certificate, and your death certificate. Just hold on to that one in your safe deposit box. <laughs> Most humble and grateful thanks to you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Can the courtesy. <laughs> You're an American now. Remember, yes. you were born in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Your parents were Herb and Judy Nahasapima Pedalan. And if you do not wish to arouse suspicion, I strongly urge you to act American. Hey there, Homer. How's it hanging? <laughs> I really, really enjoy Apu faking an American accent mm-hmm. through, I mean, just, just thinking about what uh, Hank Azaria is doing. I know if you don't it's like good if you don't like the Apu accent, I totally get it. I'm not a fan of it too, but I, I enjoy him trying to hold it back to be American and not really engaging with yeah, things. It's like three stages out from like you know, it's a white guy imitating an Indian guy imitating a bad white accent. Yeah, that's a really difficult chain. Like think about how contorted you have to get to. To get to howdy, partner. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it really, like, I'm always impressed by whenever I hear it. It does not sound like any other Hank Azaria character either. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I'm always impressed with the scene, including Nymets. Yeah, Nymets. <laughs> Nymets. I loved it. I also, the American flags everywhere do remind me of, like, just the post 9-11 flag. Just fun. That was just a normal amount of flags in 2002. <laughs> I also enjoyed the statement, let's have a relaxed attitude towards work. Yes. Yeah. And uh, Nymets is a baseball squadron yeah like that, which and of course like hey you're america we don't do courtesy <laughs> yes, yeah, and the courtesy those flags is so interesting to me because one of the big things about my generation of the first generation born in the states our parents generation was super big on assimilation because they were like look man we had it super shitty being like you know indian immigrants trying really hard to do anything and you know, not getting very far. We don't want you kids to have to deal with this. So we're going to try to make you as white as we can. And that's just been like this weird resounding kind of cultural shame that we have, mm. which is how you got like all the Indians for Trump type of thing. Uh, and all these other people like this kind of assumed whiteness of like, we're the good immigrants. See, go team. Yay. Uh, well, talking about the immigrant parents, you reminded me of in the problem with the poo, uh, like Hari's parents did not have a huge problem with the poo because they were like, we had bigger battles to fight. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we, res- we respect this battle you're fighting, but I'm sure uh, obviously they went through a whole lot more racism than Hari is going through. And, and he's going through a lot. <laughs> well, it's just like, think okay, so in 1955 or 56, my uncle and my... Well, my granduncle moved to America. He was the first one in our family to come. And there was like one other family in California that was Indian from a different part of India than the one they were from. And they would drive something like six hours from the Bay Area out to like the sticks, wherever the family was, to speak and just hear other people talking in Hindi Mm. because there was nobody else in like within 2,000 miles of where they lived that was Indian at all. And it's just like the idea of being that desperate to hear even a semblance of your language or any kind of cultural anything 
is just baffling to me because, you know, here in California, I can throw a rock and hit 12, 15, 30 Indian people, <laughs> you know, like I can go down the street and there are like six different Hindu temples dedicated to subgroups. Back when I was growing up, there was like one pan generic, all y'all can fit in this little office building that we took over Hindu temple type of thing. Wow. And so it's like, it's crazy. So I totally understand what Apu's doing in this scene where he's sitting there like, oh my God, I sold out my culture and my family. I have abandoned what my parents have taught me. And like that kind of crushing feeling he has is the most real thing I think I've seen out of Apu to date. Mm. Yeah, it's a great scene. And he has to keep, I mean, it's very telling that he has to keep the statue of Ganesh in the back, in like the storeroom, cover it up. It's just the ultimate betrayal of who he is, really. Yeah, I, I love this scene of him breaking down. Yeah, what was I thinking with that? Who needs the infinite compassion of Ganesha when I've got Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman staring at me from Entertainment Weekly with their dead eyes? Look at me! I betrayed my Indian heritage, sir! What would my parents think of me now? Make us proud, son. Never forget who you are. Don't make the same mistake I did. (gasps) Oh, forgive me, mother. (laughs) Father. (laughs) I fail you. (laughs) Who am I kidding? I am no citizen. This passport is a cheap forgery. A cheap $2,000 forgery. (laughs) He just tears it up. <laughs> That's pretty cheap for a fake passport and all that stuff. I mean, he got a good deal. 22 years ago. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's also not the best quality. That's true. When I was taking notes about this episode, I literally wrote down on my paper, Father, I failed you. Mm. That was such a huge and like you know meaningful line to me oh. just because of the immigrant experience in this country of like assimilating and of like the biculturalism of we've immigrated to a country, we can't really go back either because of finances or because of, you know, visa issues or any number of reasons that like, I need to be in this country for X number of years or they'll take my green card away. You know, all of these kind of things that cut you off from your roots, right? And like, you hear the stories about like Irish people too, are like, yeah, they got on the steamer in 1912 and never looked back or wrote a letter back to County Cork or whatever. It's just this kind of this weird disconnected diaspora feeling that you get of you're like, all I have left is this accent, these clothes and my statues of my God. Mm. And I have to hide them to pretend to be an American so that you guys won't send me to somewhere. I don't know where with nothing. And it's just like, it's crushing. It's kind of one of those things where you're as an immigrant, you're like, well, how much do I need to give up to be an American. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a great scene and it's great to see. I mean, it's not great to see a poo breakdown, but it's like he is too, he cannot live with the lie. He mm-hmm. cannot even fake it. It just, it's too damaging to him. It's, it's a level of emotion uh, that a poo isn't allowed to have normally, even in, even in the Apu focused episode of like, who needs the quickie Mart in, in that it's more cartoonish. His breakdown it's a funny scene of him howling at the moon, basically, <laughs> but it's not particularly human, I would say. Yeah, and a big part of Apu's character that is part of the stereotype is that he's very subservient 
and that he's very like cheerful all the time, like in a very, I mean, yeah. being someone who helps customers a lot, but that's this one role, but it's, you get to see him do a lot more in this episode. Mm-hmm. He doesn't become Homer's manservant in yeah. this one. I me. mean, he still calls him sir, yeah. you know, like yeah, being really just, polite. You know, politeness in yeah. Indian culture. <laughs> and I also do like that uh, vacuousness is shown in the face of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, which <laughs> they're dead, dead eyes. It feels like an undercut, like a, they're not calling him gay and in a fake marriage, but they're not, not saying that either. <laughs> they were kind of the phoniest celebrity couple of that uh, they were, they vintage. Yeah. I, I loved uh, when, when they got divorced. One of my favorite jokes about it was on the daily show, Craig Kilborn's daily show. They said that their, uh, their children had been re- returned to the prop service is in Paramount. <laughs> but uh, they're adopted children. <laughs> um, but the... Uh, but yeah, then Homer... This is also funny plotting in that Act 1 and Act 2 basically end the same way, but they're just each side of the coin of what Homer's reactions could be. Yeah. And this is Homer finally changing his mind. I want to stay, but as the real me, not as some Yahoo from Green Bay. Amen, brother. must love this country more than I love a cold beer on a hot Christmas morning. Turn it up, who? I'm not gonna let them kick you out! I never should have bought this button. Can I have my $3 back? Store credit only. So you could consider that a selling out of a Pooh's character, but I, I think it's I think it's part of his character in that he learned that in America you have to be a ruthless capitalist. Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of the jokes are of a Pooh ripping people off at the yeah. Quickie Mart. So that's just part of what he learned uh, from coming to America and starting <laughs> he, a business. That he can think and feel and charge whatever he wants. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, if I may uh, divert once again... Mm. Um, one of the things about Indian immigrant culture that it was in the 60s and 70s is that the groups that managed to come over, aside from being the educated people, the engineers and stuff, they were also like the merchants and the businessmen. Mm. So you saw a lot of Gujarati people and Punjabi people, especially making those first uh, like trips out here. And like Gujarati people are like my people. The uh, they tend to be a lot of motel owners, business owners, stuff like that. The Punjabis tend to be like you know the Sikhs. They're a lot of farmers, truck drivers, but they're also business owners. And the thing is, these two communities in India are stereotyped as being ruthless capitalists, effectively, uh, <laughs> like hardcore businessmen, lots of bargaining, lots of like we're going to take milk from a stone type of people. So that kind of fit the Indian immigrant lifestyle, like. Yeah, buddy, I know you're trying to be sympathetic, but I'm also not going to cut you a break, even though <laughs> I'm crying over here. Yeah, I You mean, still have to pay me. <laughs> if yes on 24 buttons were selling, Apu was going to sell you one. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I love that this, uh, the next act opens with Homer bringing home Apu and just Marge's assumption is so hilarious <laughs> here. Hey, Marge, look who I brought home. Oh, Homer, are you rounding up immigrants? <laughs> <laughs> no, Marge. Apu convinced me that Proposition 24 is a big mistake. All right, now you've got all the Simpsons behind you, Apu. That's nice, although three of you are below voting age. And I'm not registered. (laughs) I do appreciate your concern, really, but it is hopeless. The latest poll shows a whooping 85% support for Proposition 24. Uh, This is when they come to the idea of, like, getting him... Uh, married for citizenship, which uh, I don't know how it worked in 96, but 
it takes a long time. It is not like, oh, I'm married. I guess I'm a citizen now. No, that's not how it goes. I like how quickly this deflates because that, that was a common sitcom and movie, yep. like cheap plot. Like, let's Film get you married. Card. Exactly. Like, so you think it's going to go in that direction, but Selma's just like, no, <laughs> I'm shutting this down. I'd rather drink poison, she says. Yes, I'd rather drink poison. Wow. Uh, Actually, and uh, this is – I find this really convenient when I saw that section. When I was in college, I actually wrote my graduating thesis on um, marriage fraud in the Indian community and immigration. Mm-hmm. So this is a topic that I actually know quite a lot about. Uh, it actually is a big, huge problem in the in, in the Indian community. Like my own cousin got married to this girl that he found in India. They, you know, they went back home for the first time in 40 years or whatever. His mother went back home and they were like, holy crap, there's cars here. Mm-hmm. What happened to the village we came from? And it's like, well, time didn't stop in India, lady. <laughs> but they found a girl and they were like going to get her married. So they brought her to America. They got married. They had the big wedding and everything. She stayed for like six, eight months or something, long enough for her papers to clear as a white a woman married to an American citizen to get her green card permanent residency. And then she took off and disappeared, oh. moved to Tennessee with her old boyfriend that had moved here earlier. Whoa. And then they went off and started a life together with her now irrevocable naturalized citizenship. Huh. Wow. I And it is a huge problem. It happens all the time with these like scammers back home in India. And I say back home, like metaphorically, because I was born here, but <laughs> you see this a lot where people are always like, well, all these guys who went to, to America in the 60s and 70s, like Apu did, got bloody rich. They came home and built giant towers back home in India for their parents. These people have a crap ton of money. Let's go find one, get married to them, move to the good country, take mm. their money and come back. <laughs> That's amazing. It is wow. insane. Again, this is context we could not have provided for any yeah. of this. So thank you so much. Though also, I like when they call Selma that when she reads off all her names, at some point after marrying Troy McClure, she did marry Lionel Hutz. I wish we could have seen that. Off screen. <laughs> <laughs> so she was married to both characters voiced by Phil Hartman. It's probably like that, whatever, the Britney Spears 72-hour wedding she had. <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Though I'm surprised she didn't marry what was his Miguel friend? Sanchez. Yeah, yes, Miguel Sanchez. I can't. I'm surprised she didn't marry him. Uh, but anyway, uh, they they find a real fix. Hey, the government don't control the sky. Yeah. What if you lived in a balloon? That's it. Do you hear that, Mom? She's as dumb as me. <laughs> no, not what he said. What he is, grandfather, as in grandfather Claus. Apu, how long ago did your visa expire? Seven years, but I don't... <gasps> there was an amnesty declared for people who've been here as long as you. That means you can take the citizenship test. Oh! But Apu, the vote on Proposition 24 is on Tuesday. You'll have to pass a test before then. Oh, no, that is not nearly enough time to learn over 200 years of American history. Oh, it can't be that many. <laughs> Come on, Apu. I'll be your tutor. <laughs> On the commentary, they kind yeah. of mock themselves as like, boy, we gave ourselves an easy out here, didn't we? Yeah, listen, it's a very complicated issue. <laughs> yes. So they just have to say like, well, fortunately in Springfield, they created amnesty for somebody who's been there, I guess, seven years. And so you can apply for citizenship, which honestly, that's a very pro-immigrant stance for, you wouldn't find that in many states in America, I no. would think. 
And I mean, I would not expect the show to be this leftist even now, but watching it again after all of these things have happened in recent memory, I was thinking, you know, it'd be great if the show questioned, like, what is citizenship? Like, why is there's a, why, what is this process? Why is it, why is it made so difficult? Like, these are things the show is not addressing. Like, they would have made it very hard for a poo to apply for citizenship. They would have made it very expensive for him to apply for citizenship. Yes. Instead, it's just like, it's a free class and you get to sit down and, you know, yeah, have an oral I, exam. I would say a lot of people who, they make assumptions. They maybe don't know that it's thousands of dollars just to apply, just to apply. They they might reject it. Like, I that really makes me angry. The people who assume that like, oh, they're just giving out green cards to everybody. It's like, no, they really aren't. It's a pain in the ass. I mean, you have to live here for a certain amount of time. You can't have left for a certain amount of time. You, I mean, I mean, in the 80s and 90s, it wasn't as hard as it is now. Obviously, post 9-11 has become significantly harder because I remember both of my grandparents getting American citizenships uh, so that they could get Social Security or whatever it was because they'd lived here for so long. And my grandmother didn't speak English, but she took the test in Hindi and was able to become a citizen. Mm. And um, I remember studying and teaching her, like, this is how many stripes are on a flag or whatever. And it was really weird and kind of confusing. But it's amazing how much we who are born here take for granted how easy it is for us to become citizenships. When you see the citizenship tests are so ridiculously complicated and all of the hoops and stuff you have to jump through are just if if you don't speak English natively, it is really really hard. And if you do speak English natively, it's still really hard. <laughs> a this scene is almost a little too long. It's just a little Homer side quest here. But yeah, I I do like the idea of like Homer is as <laughs> American as it comes, and he knows nothing about the history compared to Apu, who knows so much more. Yeah, like this dipshit woke up and he was American, but yeah. Apu has to go through the struggle to become American, and he he already knows like way more than Homer ever would. Yes, I I especially love this gag here with the flag. Please identify this object. It appears to be the flag which disappeared from the public library last year. Correct. Now, we all know the 13 stripes are for good luck. But why does the American flag have precisely 47 stars? Because this particular flag is ridiculously out of date. The library must have purchased it during the brief period in 1912 after New Mexico became a state, but before Arizona did. Uh, partial credit. <laughs> that's, uh, some good, that's some good flag knowledge from a Yeah, Yeah, it, it seriously was. It was only six weeks. <laughs> it was from January 6th to September. Uh, February fourteenth. They should have uh, not. Have, they should not have printed flags then. I would think they probably didn't. Yeah. I. I don't know. I wouldn't think flag production is that fast in nineteen twelve. Yeah, in nineteen twelve, they were making them by hand. <laughs> do you think? So someone probably sewed it together for the welcoming to New Mexico into the country. You know, ceremony. Yeah. Before they did the welcome to Arizona or whatever. Though, so, <laughs> though, yeah, you would think in the, even in government buildings, they they in governmental groups, they would know like, hey, we're getting pretty close to Arizona's statehood. Maybe <laughs> we don't make this forty-seven star flag. We'll never have another state because fifty is so perfect. Yeah. No one wants to have fifty-one. States. Sorry, Puerto Rico. Yeah. For, for many reasons. <laughs> sorry. I'm very sorry. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> But the thing is, though, in the immigrant community, the stereotype of like us having to know this country inside and out while American people are like, you know, ever since Jesus founded America 2000 years ago. <laughs> he wrote the Constitution. <laughs> just, Come on. Uh, his name is on the country right there. The Jesus States of America. <laughs> but it just it's kind of one of those like stereotypes of 
Oh, you know, what do you call somebody who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you call somebody who speaks two languages? Bilingual. And what do you call somebody who speaks one language? American. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our educations did not serve us well. They're like, let's teach you another language. At the same time, your language center of your brain shuts off. Mm-hmm. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. good idea, public education system. Uh, oh, well, then we get a, a quick Where's Springfield gag, which I do like it, though. It ex- it says that it's, it's at least on the east half of America. It's a nice screw you to the audience. Yeah. The wherever, Bart like, appears immediately. Yeah. Based on wherever Lisa's hand could go, it still has to be on the left side Mm, it can't springfield is not on the west coast we know that there is no answer no i know there is no uh mike reese in his book tries to answer it too and he's like there isn't one (laughs) but uh uh and then we get a couple of really fun wiggum scenes uh first him falling through the uh the pier was pretty funny yeah and the um, and the uh reading the poem on the statue of liberty but using that as a way to round up immigrants yes yeah (laughs) i don't know if you have the clip of that but i remember that was like something that happened recently where uh so in our modern times this battle is still happening over immigration and someone brought up at like a press conference at i a, know the one yeah uh, and they're like uh isn't this honor of the fucking statue of liberty and mm-hmm. some grade grubbing asshole had oh, to be was, like it was uh, the, uh, that's a poem it's not legislation yes. so uh you fuck you no that was the uh, the skull-faced asshole oh, Stephen miller that yeah. said that it was uh i believe it was jim acosta of the cnn asked him like hey it says this on the statue of liberty he's like um did you know that that was added at this point so i'm not really sure what that has to do with it. are you telling me that cnn doesn't know what's on the statue it's like Eat shit, you fucking monster. Can you die in a cancer fire? Fucking (laughs) ghoul. Like, go to hell. Like, ugh. We don't wish death on everybody, but Stephen Miller, I think we'll take an exception. Yeah. Yeah. And not the Steve Miller from the Steve Miller band. He was great. Uh, But I also do like uh, this is the first time ever I caught on the newspaper gag that the the bear control steps up its bombing Bombing. campaign. (laughs) They're still wasting all of that money on uh, Uh, the bear patrol. For all this, while they should be. So they're also, yeah, all these times they've been saying like these immigrants are taking up all our money. You're doing all this stuff. They, they are spending so much money on bear control. I mean, speaking of like modern times, I think they're using the bear patrol as a reason to militarize the police. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they're not just using those stealth bombers on bears guys. <laughs> uh, so also Apu just knocks out. Can't, he forgets everything that Homer taught him, which is pretty funny. It's perfect. Uh, yeah. Let's and, roll. and that I, he slept so hard that I love that he just wakes up and like, Bart's eating breakfast in front of him. Yeah. Like, that's how deeply he was sleeping. But uh, this, there aren't really any good quotes here, but just, I had to get it because the Springfield protesters, it's just so scary seeing like, again, Ned Flanders is in the front line. He shouldn't be there. I agree with that. Yeah. He wouldn't be there, but the, I, I kind of like this sound here and just the visual of Lisa escorting Apu into his test in front of all his protesters is I think kind of a powerful image. Wow, Skinner's pretty savage in the background yeah, there. Yeah, I know, right? Immigrants go home. And I heard Barney say something about jobs. Mm. I think I heard about jobs. About taking there. jobs. Uh, Actually, there is a cutscene. We're going to do a cutscene episode, uh, as we do for the past three seasons. But there is a cutscene showing that at the nuclear plant, the the immigrants there do all of the worst jobs, like literally handling <laughs> oh, the toxic waste. Uh, that's where they bring in Zootroy again, yeah. right? And the new character, Fong, I believe. But mm. Zootroy does come back. And uh, so, yeah, then we cut to the test, and that's where 
for Bumblebee Man makes his appearance in this episode. As are they actually have like kind of almost every stripe of foreigner, including like a like a beef eater type uh, British man. Yeah. <laughs> it's and uh, Mo or Mo- Momar or Morris. It's <laughs> true. This fits with the Momar Mo, I guess, him being secretly an immigrant and having to wear a cartoonish mustache while taking it. Well, in Bart's inner child, his inner child is asking him why he doesn't use his Italian accent oh, anymore. Oh, yeah. He doesn't use his accent anymore. It's, uh, I guess he's under the amnesty as well, I suppose. But uh, we get to the end of Apu's test, which is is a, a another great scene back to the under what we take is the acceptable level of knowledge of American history <laughs> from most people. Yeah. All right, here's your last question. What was the cause of the Civil War? Actually, there were numerous causes. Aside from the obvious schism between abolitionists and anti-abolitionists, economic factors, both domestic and international, played a significant... Hey, hey. Yeah. Just, just say slavery. Slavery it is, sir. <laughs> yes, I am a citizen. Now, which way to the welfare office? What? I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I work, I work. So the Just Say Slavery thing is something that happened to David S. Cohen's friend. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was a uh, history major at Harvard taking the same exact (laughs) test with the same exact question, and she got Just Say Slavery. Yeah. (laughs) Because the guy was just like, I don't want to hear this. This is all formality. I really like the crosstalk, and he's like, hey, hey, uh, uh, uh." Yeah. yeah, just say slavery. I, and I do like the quote, slavery it is, sir. Slavery it is. <laughs> Whatever it takes to get your stamp, just give it to me and I'll be on my yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. And it's a funny gag, Apu says, let's wait to the welfare office, though. It goes on a stereotype I'm not a fan of, of just like all these po- all these moochers sucking off Uncle Sam for the welfare money, which, by the way, folks, welfare, no longer, there is no system called welfare mm-hmm. anymore. So if you hear people complain about welfare, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing. Yep. This also then came at the time where like Bill Clinton was really talking hard about welfare reform and what an awesome guy. And and the amount of strikes you can have. Yeah. Up to three. What a cool guy. So then we get to the Apu celebration. He is officially an American and uh, we get that cute Indian American, American Indian exchange. Yeah. Native American. And which uh, the, the term indigenous people now exists, which would kind of kill this gag honestly but uh, it's it's cute and then we get homer's big speech which i really do love there's something to me bart laughing at homer's dad joke yeah so cute to me and the fact that he's the only one laughing is also yeah, very cute it's so great hi everyone if i could just say a few words i'd be a better public speaker now <laughs> <laughs> that you're all relaxed <clears throat> most of us here were born in america We take this country for granted, but not immigrants like Apu, while the rest of us are drinking ourselves stupid. They're driving the cabs that get us home safely. They're writing the operas that entertain us every day. They're training our tigers and kicking our extra points. These people are the glue that holds together the gears of our society. If we pass Proposition 24, we'll be losing some of the truest Americans of all. When you go to the polls tomorrow, please vote no on Proposition 24. No on 24. 
And it's a yes on 24. Well, so all this proposition talk, it does, it feels so Californian to me, too. I mean, I voted on specific propositions or articles in Florida as well, but it's vote no on prop whatever, vote yes on prop whatever. I I guess it does help, too, that the first election I really voted in 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 California was the Prop 8 2008 one, which... uh, Boy, that sucked. That was I was it was it was a real damper on the Obama winning evening to see Prop Eight pass, but uh, uh, fortunately, that's all in the past now. But the uh, though Homer's speech, it's a great speech. I but it also I feel like unexceptionable immigrants should also be given humanity. It's, you don't have to just be an opera writer or yeah, a or field a goal PhD, dri- a cab driving PhD. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're talking about the podcast Citations Needed. They did, they did a great episode about perseverance porn, where yeah. it's just like, this person worked until they almost died, so they get a chance. Mm-hmm. You have to like almost kill yourself with uh, the struggle in order to be considered worthy of a chance. This guy walked 20 miles every day to do a, a shitty job. You shouldn't complain. It's like, why didn't he have a fucking bus? Yeah, the- there should be more bus lines. Yeah. It just like listening to that though was such a like the heart of that speech was a good idea. Mm. It was a very heartwarming speech or whatever. But then it's also just the most condescending friggin' speech. Yeah. He's like, while we're getting drunk and living leisurely lives, these guys are driving us home diligently because they don't drink. <laughs> I'm like, what? yeah. It is, dude. Really, it is really Homer's limited point of view. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but it's also just kind of like, well, wait, what do you think? Like immigrants do? Do they not get to go out and have fun? Mm -hmm. They exist to serve us. Yeah, yeah, right. Like, it's like we should be grateful that they're here to do our manual labor. Like, really, (laughs) really. Then we get uh, we get the no on twenty four uh, chanting and the voting shots and I I like all the different ways you can vote in there and they yeah. uh, uh, the animators added that toilet one and the, the writers were like they accept it like ah, that's funny I like that the room with two with two toilets flush one of them yes but uh, <laughs> uh, then we have a very real and yeah it's a landslide yes on 24 the proposition passed with a record 95 percent when are people going to learn democracy doesn't work please don't knock the land that i love (gasps) jury duty oh today i am truly an american citizen Thank heaven everything worked out for the people we care about. Uh, in grits. <laughs> uh, Willie comes back. Don't no worry. No one cares about Willie. Yeah. That's the joke. Which <laughs> it's, it's sad, but also it, they could only do this joke with one of their white immigrants. It's, it's just too mean if that was Bumblebee, man. It's, it just would have been too cruel. So instead, Willie gets picked on all the time. It's uh, there's all honestly not a lot of Scottish stereotypes. So it's true. Hey, it's a real gut punch in first viewing when you see like you're just led up to like, all right, Homer changed everyone's mind. Like, and it's a landslide, ninety five percent. Which like you you don't get that in voting. A landslide is seventy percent. Yeah, I believe the proposition one eight seven on the undercover immigrant. Uh, it, it passed for like sixty two percent, and so that. Pretty- 
pretty good. Yeah, yeah. But again, it was immediately like not put into practice. <laughs> but oh man, and- I don't know, man. It was just such a. It it was definitely a good commentary on just uh, what's the word I'm looking for. A lot of people just posing, but not actually. Um, you know, go following through. Mm-hmm. Like once the voting both clues, uh, once the voting booth is closed, it's private, and you can still be as racist as you want. Yeah, that's true. And it's just like the Leave campaign, where like we figured everybody else would vote no, so we voted yes, <laughs> or you know whatever their yes or no uh, version was. Yeah, we're just like you know, we're just standing here and we're going to like sit here and they say virtue signaling. Like, virtue signal. Yeah, that's what yeah. it is. It's like. Virtue signaling. You're all just going to, we're going to vote. No. Yeah. Passed with 95%. Yes. Uh huh. Because we know that you're all racist on the inside. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, It's a very realistic (laughs) ending and it is a gut punch, uh, you know, uh, worthy of a Simpsons joke. Yeah. And uh, I also ignored jury duty, just like Apu. We're very similar in that way. And the continuity error, if I may, Mm -hmm. Apu did serve on a jury already in the Freddy Quimby trial in uh, The Boy Who Knew Too Much season. And five so got that one wrong there Simpsons <laughs> guys how dare they <laughs> <laughs> and also please anyone out there listeners when he throws that trash over his shoulder and it lands in the trash can I swear that is an insert shot from a previous trash can scene <laughs> in an episode before this one it <laughs> wouldn't be from an episode after this one I'm talking about before this one where he throws a pink piece of paper in the trash can I could not find it I will tell you what it's not it's not throwing in the trash can <laughs> from them throwing out Homer's college thing and Homer goes to college it's not them throwing out Bart and Lee says script in the front where is it from folks like please it is is hurting me my theory is henry had a minor stroke no (laughs) i swear i've seen it before they took it from an older episode uh but no i i put it on i put the question on twitter but nobody found it uh, had had a suggestion at the time in this recording. But so please, if you know, save me, save Let my sanity. Henry needs to heal. Uh, <laughs> but final thoughts, uh, Shivam, you're our special guest. Like, what was your ultimate feelings about this episode? You've never seen it before, and you have you have some interesting and complicated feelings about a poo. Like, what did you think about it in the end? I thought it was a really nuanced take on a very complicated topic that I was not expecting, and. I mean, it was really interesting to see this guy because I remember living through uh, 187. I remember being here in California when all the immigrant raid then was there. And obviously right now I remember I'm living through the fact that suddenly I'm the target of this. Right. So it's been really interesting to kind of contextualize this both in then and now forms. And I mean, ultimately, I'm still really, really disappointed with Abu. Mm. It really just saddens me that this character could have become so much and meant so much to us who had nothing except this guy. And they could have gone places with it, and they didn't. And it's just like, oh, man, you're just going for the low-hanging fruit everywhere. And even in this message, even in this message episode, they still just undercut it at the end, being like, well, there's still always going to be second-class cab-driving citizens. But yay! I mean, the Simpsons can never be too hopeful, but I totally agree with you that I feel like it was a mistake for them to throw away what they built 
in this uh, in this episode, and like later showrunners would not acknowledge changes made by former showrunners. So I feel like yeah. maybe the Mike Scully era they could have done more with the poo uh, with this uh, taking off from with what they did with them here. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is a very honest and genuine attempt to salvage a stereotype while still indulging in stereotypes. Yes, and for 1996, it is hella progressive to have a, uh, an entire story about a poo that is not just a joke about him being from another country, mm-hmm. as we saw with Homer and a poo, which is mostly jokes about his he's foreign and he's weird yeah i this one is sadly timely now and i do think there's still this episode hasn't aged at all and that's sad i'd say 22 years ago it was pretty different to feel something for an immigrant like have a show that's about empathizing with the other in this case uh so i i like it in that sense I kind of wish it was even more like full throatedly mm-hmm. uh, pro immigrant and pro undocumented immigrant, but it's it's it is strong enough. And I like Lisa is just over most of all the voice of reason. I think it's great that they gave her that they let her say, yeah. All Americans are immigrants. If you think about it, Apu, like that's that is an important message to remember. Like we're all immigrants, so shut the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, at least it doesn't say that part. But uh, a little it, more polite. Yeah, and I I hope I don't know. I hope this po- political message still. I hope more people listen than did in Springfield on No on 24. Yeah, me too. Uh, So, Shivam, uh, where can we find you? What do you do? You've got another podcast you want to talk about? Let us know. Uh, Yeah, sure. First off, thank you so much for inviting me on. I was uh, thrilled to be able to talk about one of my favorite topics, Indian culture and Apu. Oh, thank you. You were Um, great. uh, Your listeners can find me on uh, Twitter at ElectroTal, E-L-E-K-T-R-O-T-A-L. And if they actually play the game Magic the Gathering and want to hear me talk about that every Wednesday, my podcast is called Commanderin, and you can find that at at CommanderinMTG on Twitter and anywhere that uh, social is sold. Um, But once again, thank you so much, and I'm happy to talk about what it's like to be me. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. We'll have you back. And also, I should tell our listeners, you were on a recent, as of this recording, Retronauts about the Sweet Coden series. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was so much fun. I barely got to talk, but that was okay, because you and Shane really just knew everything <laughs> there would ever be to know about that series. So, yes, amazing <laughs> job there. Well, I mean, you bring me on to talk about my favorite game of all time. That's what's <laughs> going to happen. You, you brought it. But thanks again, Shivam. Thank you. Thank you so much. So thanks again to Shivam for joining us. That was great. I was glad we got to hear about his authentic experience. You've heard a lot of our uh, loud white guy opinions. So uh, it was good to hear from someone else about Apu. But thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, If you want to know how the show is supported, it's all supported through Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons. We have so much stuff to offer you. Uh, But I'll tell you right now, we have like mini series. You can get the show a week ahead of time and ad free. I'll tell you what we have to offer you. We have so much going on at the Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons, you can get a week ahead of time and ad free every episode of this show and also all kinds of bonus podcasts over 100 at this point henry what's the most recent cool stuff we've done uh well i would definitely send people to our interviews with our two most recent ones with mike reese who just wrote a whole book on the simpsons and nell scoville who wrote the blowfish episode of the simpsons and wrote for a ton of other shows they both have a ton of hollywood comedy writer legends in there uh, i just really enjoy both of those books and their interviews i think turned out really great yes yeah, so and we have a ton a ton 
ton of stuff happening at the Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash Talking Simpsons to check it out. I think you'll enjoy it if you enjoy hearing us talk for two and a half hours about one TV episode. <laughs> as for me, you can find me on Twitter as Bob Servo. My other podcast is Retronauts. Every Monday, go to retronauts.com or look for Retronauts in your podcast machine. Uh, we've been going on since 2006. We have so many topics to cover. Listen to our Sweet Coden episode with Shibam if you want. If you don't know about Sweet Coden, find any other topic we've done. We've done like 400 episodes, maybe 500. I don't know. I can't count. Definitely a few Simpsons ones in there. Yeah, yeah. We've done things like uh, the Simpsons arcade game, Bart versus the Space Mutants, Bart, Bart's Nightmare. Virtual um, Bart. Virtual Bart. Oh my God, we've done so many bad Simpsons <laughs> games. But yes, those are all painful memories that I turned into fun podcasts. Check it out. Retronauts.com. Henry, how about you? And I'm H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G and you can check me out on Twitter. If you follow me there, you'll see when New episodes of this podcast and bonuses go up on the Patreon, as well as when we post new episodes of our sister podcast, What a Cartoon, where we go through a different animated series in the Simpsons style. You should listen to our recent episodes about Freakazoid and Fooly Cooly. Oh yeah, both amazing. So thanks for joining us, folks. We'll see you next week for Homer Palooza. infotainment.